death. I like death with sex. How about you, Casey? You like sex with death? Yeah, so fuck off and die. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Detective. Thrill me. Hey everybody and welcome to Betrothed, a couple's guide to genre film. I'm your host Chris and with me as always... I'm Katie. And uh, today is an experience. Oh god, yeah. Um, before we get into this, I don't want to just genuinely hate this movie. No, I don't... For a lot of reasons. Sure. But today we did uh, Caged Heat. From 1974, written and directed by the great Jonathan Demme. Um, This one is... It's this... uh, First of all, let me apologize. (laughs) So I feel like this is my fault. Mm -hmm. These sort of exploitation genre films from that 70s era where it's sort of grindhouse-y kind of vibes, they're very fascinating to me. And and sometimes I, I, I really hate them, and sometimes I really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And they're not always cohesive. Sure. But there's usually some interesting things to follow. And this one is part of that genre. I feel like I'm just rambling now. It's part of the whole women in uh, cages sort of women in women's prisons genre that is really prevalent from like 1950 to the, you know, early 80s. Yeah. And I think that. The 70s was probably the heyday for it. I think that it was probably rich with it, as well as um, the various nipples and breasts. And, you know, well, we were it's just a, letting things fly. It's a, t- it's a TNA genre. It is. And, um, and, and, the, but that's, that's its own down. That is its downfall at the same time as it is its um, sort of saving grace. Saving grace. Yeah. I will say the most accurate thing about it. I was really able to relate, especially in quarantine, to the lack of bras. There was a lot of free boobin, and I can say that, you know, given the opportunity to be locked in prison with a hundred other boobin. women, I would be free boobin the whole time. Free boobin is is one that I've I mean, I guess it's like free ballin'. Yeah, but for the boobies. Yeah. Well, okay, so this movie is sort of it's very it's it's fairly well liked and and respected in terms of this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of at the at the top of the 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 you know the it, it's considered one of the top of this genre, and at the same time, it's a send up of its own genre, um, mm-hmm. which is which is which is one part weird and one part um, sort of telling of the time period in the era. The thing about it is. Um, I don't understand who this genre is for. Like, I understand a lot of Grindhouse stuff. I get what some of these exploitation film things... I get why people enjoy them. But, like, this women in cages thing, like, I do not understand it. I know it seems to be some sort of, like, titillating fascination with bondage that, uh, that I don't get. Sure. I think that it's a little bit... 
subversive of it. I think that that's part of it. But I feel like this is also a couple steps too far down the rabbit hole for me. Yeah, well, and it's subversive to be subversive. And I know there's there's probably people out there who are really into this sort of genre that would be more apt to school me on this because Grant and I'm much more like a horror sci-fi person. Um, and I love an action movie, but this sort of skirts the lines between a couple of different things. It, it also tries to be a comedy. Um, but I, I don't know. I, it tries I, to be a lot of things. I have... I have some issues with I think I think I have more issues with the the genre the subgenre than I do this movie. Sure, <clears throat> there's a few things that I struggle with this particular film. For instance, there's a lot of um, vignettes over scenes. Right. There's a lot of um, so this happens and then we move right. on to an actual scene. I I totally I know what you're talking about and I and I think that I need to I'm trying to judge it based on those sort of things less the um overall content and judging the genre in itself. Like I'm trying not to do that because this is a difficult- it is a time period and an era that that this sort of thing speaks to. Well, and for me this was a little bit of a difficult watch because um it first it's a little bit slow. And there's a lot of tension without a lot of relief, but you're confused about the tension because you're not really sure what the imminent threat is for way too long. Yeah. For my opinion. Um, I I agree with you, but I don't think it starts as slow as it, I think it starts, we'll we'll get into that when we get into the movie mm -hmm. more, because I have some thoughts on that, but I think the one thing that we really need to get into first before anything else is we need to talk about Jonathan Demme. We do. And this production of this movie. We do. It's an interesting production story. And I think we should note that it is available streaming on yeah. Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon. Um, and it's interesting because for those who might not know, Jonathan Demme was a uh, producer for Corman. In fact, he produced two other uh corman flicks one of them was the this, hot box this was produced by roger corman to um, new world pictures and then this specifically this was new horizons which is a subsidiary of new world pictures um but uh i actually found research that jonathan had to do all of the funding himself that they yeah, were not the yeah. movie was released by roger corman and he was a, he was by. a ghost producer but it, it's it's a Roger Corman produced movie. He he didn't have a hand in the in putting the movie in the, the actual filming of the movie and funding it. Um, but he definitely is the one who actually went to Jonathan Demme about the script when Jonathan Demme was like, "I want to direct a movie for you. Here's a script," and and um, and said that he wanted another one of his Women in Cages movies, but wanted it very specifically to do something different to the genre. That's what I read. That he wanted it to do something different to the genre. That also still included the violence and the nudity mm-hmm. that the genre was known for. Mm-hmm. So that's what Corman wanted, and then this is what Demi gave him. Sure, but I don't think. But but it, from what I read, you're right. It wasn't produced produced by him in that he put money up, etc. But it was produced by Roger Corman. Right, and I well, mean, and when, it's and it's part of that New World catalog. And in that era, when you worked for Corman, you got a lot of things done because everyone knew you worked for Corman. Yeah, but that was also you also got a lot of things done for no money, and it was shoestrings, and it was the, the, the we need to talk. We'll we'll have to spend a lot more time talking about Roger Corman because I've got a lot of Roger Corman movies that we can do. Because Roger Corman, if you don't know, is a prolific producer um, of B movies 
and and his in sensationalism uh in in the in the era of 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 early film production in sci-fi and horror um you get a lot of those like movies where he's got a title and he gives the guy the title and says make that movie mm-hmm. and that's why you have a lot of confusing weird movies with completely different titles that, that don't really reflect what's actually in the movie etc it's just that it's all you want to do is you want to sell it you want to sell it you want to sell it and i love roger corbin for that but in this case yeah he he jonathan demi was one of that crew that worked for corman and that crew included um uh joe dante uh who directed gremlins and the burbs and um small soldiers uh james cameron was part of that uh that crew because he actually did was it piranha was he did piranha or did he do a sequel to piranha i think he did piranha anyway um so there's all of these filmmakers that came out of that. Ron Howard actually came out of that world because Ron Howard's first movie um, was a like a like a car film, and um, it was produced by Corman. So Corman gave him a shot because Ron Howard was coming off of Happy Days sure. and trying to get into you know directing, um, and so so Roger Corman is is sort of responsible for a lot of the biggest budget movies of all time indirectly Mm -hmm. and some of the biggest most famous acclaimed directors of all time indirectly um well their success indirectly but you know sure putting them out in the world very directly giving them work and letting them learn the first step is and the first break is almost always the most important because it takes a lot for someone to give a director or a producer the reins and say here, yeah. have $200,000, in this case, $180,000, yeah. and have at it. Make that yeah. film, kid. And that's why I think that Demi had to do all that mostly on his own. Mm-hmm. And then Corman took it, and then he directed a couple more movies for Roger Corman before going on to actually directing some really important stuff. Exactly. Not that, in a way, Cage Seed is important. It's one of those movies you hear about your whole life like as a, as a joke. It's sort of a punchline type title. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's why I was so interested in looking into the genre because like I've heard that as a punchline so much and I've never really explored this whole women in cages genre. And I'm not going to explore it much more. Um, yeah, this was an interesting taste and it was um, yeah. enough for me. I've learned that um, I, I get it, Yeah, I think is my point. Um, it's interesting to know that the original title of this film was mm-hmm. actually Renegade Girls, which makes less sense somehow but also more sense and i i read that there there's uh skepticism or or hope in um that the title cage cheat is actually a reference to um a few other titles prior to um kind of an homage to earlier uh women in cages movies yeah yes and i believe one was white heat yes and i don't know what the other one was um and then it is was worth, it just caged? It was. Okay. It was just caged. There we go. Yeah, I was like, I, you, I think you have it written down. I but do. I... Um, and there were two additional Caged Heat films. Caged Heat 2, Stripped of Freedom, and Caged Heat 3000, neither of which have anything to do with this film. No, they just use titles. Yes. It's, there's, they're not really sequels. They're completely unrelated, and it is unclear if they're in the same universe. To be fair, though, when this movie was over, I did not need more of this universe no um but anyway jonathan demi went on to to direct 
lots of things that you you'd know um he won a billion oscars for uh silence of the lambs mm-hmm. uh he directed philadelphia um which was those are two very groundbreaking movies um rachel getting married which is an interesting one because that was an era when i was see that came out that came out in an era where i was with a lot of film school friends <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was one of those movies that was like artsy and dramatic and and I, I loved I, that film. I liked it. It was it was good. It was my kind of dreary film. Yeah, it's very dreary. Um, but so he's he's done a lot of great stuff, and it's interesting. You can see some shades of that in this, and it and it it's also very interesting that you can see shades of those things because um, the cinematographer is the same. So the cinematographer of this movie, I think, really goes is something that we need to to get into a little bit. Um, there are definitely some really creative shots. Yeah, but what I mean is, did you were you able to look up anything about? Do you know who this cinematographer is? No, I'm going to let you educate me. Okay, um, his name is is Tak Fujimoto, and he has he's been sort of Jonathan Demi's cinematographer for a lot of these things. Um, so he did the the stuff for Silence of the Lambs. He did the stuff for uh, he shot this movie. He shot. Um, uh, I believe he shot Rachel getting married. It's interesting you say that because I can see some similarities. I'm trying and, to pull up his actual list here. Um, there's more. You can see the groundwork being laid, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's some great tracking shots in here that I can see in Silence of the Lambs. And a great eye, a natural eye for symmetry and movement of the camera. And using it for storytelling. There's definitely um, shades of what's to come in there. There's definitely good stuff. You can see it. You can see the movie itself for the budget that it is. I was actually surprised how cheap it was because mm-hmm. I thought it looked better than 180 grand. It does. I mean, it's in 1973 money or whatever, 1974. Sure. But still, I mean, um, so real quick, just to give you a reference of who shot this movie. So he shot Caged Heat with Jonathan Demme. Then Death Race 2000, which I, we're going to do on this show. I love that movie. It is one of the king of all cheeseball movies. Um, and Sylvester Stallone is in it. Uh, and David Carradine. It's it's crazy. So he shot that um, real quick. He shot... I'm trying not to smack into the microphone because Katie has made it clear that it annoys her. Uh, he did second unit photography on um, Star Wars. In 77, which is really oh. interesting. But getting into the actual, the good stuff. He did Where the Buffalo Roam, one of your favorite movies, which when you look at these two next to each other, it's it's very evident. Sure. Well, also, the weird thing about Where the Buffalo Roam, um, which is sort of the first adaptation of uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. um, that movie looks sort of like a sitcom. The way the camera moves and stuff. It's almost like a TV show. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he he also shot Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He shot Pretty in Pink. Uh, he shot um, Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia. So he shot That Thing You Do, which is interesting because that's right off the heels of Philadelphia. Tom Hanks is in that. So then Tom Hanks goes to produce and direct um, That Thing You Do. So he brings on Tak Fujimoto. Um, he also directed, he also did the cinematography for The Sixth Sense. Mm. He did cinematography for Signs. This is so when he starts working with M. Night Shyamalan. We've seen a lot through his eyes. Yeah, Jonathan Demme's Manchurian Candidate reboot. Uh, he did The Happening, which is notoriously bizarre. Um, he did Devil, which is that uh, elevator movie that M. Night Shyamalan um, produced. So 
this is a very, very, ended up being a very, very renowned cinematographer and ended up being a very renowned director who wrote, directed, and shot this movie. So it's very fascinating through that lens to see this movie. It is because uh, it makes me a little bit more forgiving, for one. Yep. And it does feel a little bit more like a uh, student film approach. Yeah, no, 100%. It, it, it looks like a lot of people were learning on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other cool side note is the music, which is bizarre. Very. Um, is John Cale, uh, Velvet Underground. Oh, interesting. So he put together all the music. Okay. So that explains a lot more. Yeah, and it definitely does come across as a bit experimental. Oh, yeah. This is... An, this is um, one way I kept thinking about it was like, this movie to me is like, what if... Like if you have an art school, like film school kid, um, and you gave him, and he wanted to make a serious movie, but you told him he had to make a comedy, this is what he would have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, you, you took a, a serious art film kid, his very first movie. You said, he said, I want to make this movie. It's going to be a serious drama about women in a prison. And they're like, okay, but you also have to add in TNA and a comedy. Yes, and this is what he gave you. Yes. Because the comedy in this movie is my least favorite type of comedy. It's it's somewhat farcical. It's like it's people who understand um who understand irony and farce but don't actually understand what's funny. Nor timing. Right. There's no timing in it. They don't get comedy but they understand the I, the concept. It's like if a robot understood what farce and um sort of uh, lampooning things. Work. Sure, like it if feels, you just told a robot what what uh, to do a parody. It feels like a nineteen seventy four robot or AI punched up the jokes. Yeah, and and I I, I want to say that's also part of like part of the time period mm-hmm. because this would have been so this movie would have come out when my mom was freshman in college. No, no senior in high school. No, my mom graduated high school. Your parents. Uh-huh. My mom graduated high school in nineteen seventy nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, my dad graduated high school in 73. Right. So you're, this would have been around when your dad graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So my mom graduated high school in 79. So she would have been like in middle school. So like this this is that era of, of, of the comedies that they would like. They, they go all over the map. So I think this movie's comedy lands a lot more towards, um, and I don't want to insult <laughs> some, some things here, but if this movie is to... Cheech and Chong the jerk is to um, is to uh, Judd Apatow films okay I'm picking up what you're putting down do you know what I mean yeah so it's this is is a lower common denominator of humor in this but Mm -hmm. coming from a place of like here's your fucking joke Um, whereas the something like the jerk from the same sort of era is a lot more there's a lot more slapstick and stupid in it, but it's from a place of intent. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem in it, like the jokes seem half-hearted. Like the comedy seems very half. Like like we're just going to go for what the the funny bit is, and not to super belittle like Cheech and Chong. I know there's some great bits in there, but like it seemed like they were just discovering things that made them laugh for the first time. Well, for <laughs> me, I feel like the the jokes in this come across as though the actors don't really know that it's a joke. They're Sometimes not, they're yeah. not entirely sure of the tone. I'm not entirely sure of the tone. Do you want to? Like, I think we've re- really broached where we can start getting into this thing. Do you? Y- yes. I just had to. It felt like I needed to air my feelings on the background of this movie. 
I totally understand. Um, this movie gave me a lot of feels. I definitely needed a palate cleanser after watching this film. In fact, I was, Chris noted I was in a mood after I finished this. It's sleazy for sure. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. We can't talk about it because we, we make a vow not to talk about the movies right. before we record. Um, Which adds to this being a very, uh, like a marriage test. <laughs> yeah, because... Particularly this film. We don't know how the other is going to react. And I can't... I'm definitely not offended by this film. No, it didn't offend me. I've, I've been disgusted and offended by a lot of movies that I end up liking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot worse stuff. This Not not that bad of, like... This you is have not to be like, really bad for me to turn it off. This isn't super depraved or anything. No. It's just devoid of joy yes um but i do want to give them kudos for having all natural breasts oh no this is the 70s man this is like this is we're on the heels of the 60s here mm-hmm. in 1960 1973 1974 so like this is this is uh well before we start getting into the the super excess of the cocaine era mm-hmm. um that said a lot of drugs were done to put this movie together Oh, had to have been. Some of the some good drugs. This has a vibe. This has that easy rider vibe. Yes. Like we just came out of that era. Um but it's got that vibe of like we're making this fucking Gonzo movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean that has like just random weird dream sequences and scenes that don't necessarily pertain but they're there for the art. Because every once in a while you get a scene that's like is this supposed to be a metaphor? Right, and I don't know if it is or not. But I feel like that's part of why this film kind of calls for your whatever your version of recreational drugs are. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like one of those of like, if you get on the same wavelength as them, you might enjoy Maybe it more. Maybe I get more. it better, yeah. Um, but I don't know if that would actually be the case. Well, that's the way I feel about like Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that I don't think I've ever been able to like get through. Sure. It's kind of like watching a movie that was made for 3D without the glasses. Yeah, yes. And there's okay. red halos around everything, but you're too sober to see it straight. Somebody gets it. Um, so let's just jump right in. They We start out with the New Horizons logo, which is a subsidiary of New World Pictures, which is the Roger Corman thing. And a quick interesting aside there, I know we're going to stop down right as we start breaking <laughs> down this movie, but um, Corman's, um, the, cat, the Corman catalog from New World was acquired by Shout Factory recently. Mm-hmm. From New Horizons, but what I think is interesting is that the New Horizons, New and uh, New World, I believe they got purchased at one point by Fox and 20th Century Fox, and so now technically Disney owns New Horizons, New World mm-hmm, Pictures, mm-hmm. but the catalog, like technically Disney owns the the their catalog, but Shout Factory purchased it. So that's a really interesting thing. So there was, was a time period out. for a minute, if that's the case, mm-hmm. and I could be wrong, that Disney owned this movie. <laughs> it's another line of proof that shows that Disney owns everything. But I think, I don't know if Shout Factory bought the actual catalog or they bought the rights to the catalog. I'm, I'm unclear. I need to read more about that. But it's an interesting aside nonetheless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we start on, on, on New Horizons and then we open with what I think is a good opening. Yeah, I want to see the movie that this opening scene this is actually about. Yeah, I thought we were in for something cool because this opening shot is rad. So, I want more of this particular cop. 
Yeah, the guy that looks like um, I don't know Harmar if any of you ever heard. He looks like Harmar Superstar or um, what's his butt from? Um, um, damn it, he he's involved with Chris Gethard show people. Um, Murph, Murph Meyer. Yep. Uh, he looks a lot like that guy. So he's got the the seventies stash, mm-hmm. the sideburns, mm-hmm. the sort of balding long hair. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wearing uh, some short shorts. And a uh, the, the the outfits. So this opening, I wrote down hair clothes. Wow, <laughs> I was already in on that. This guy's wearing. Short, he looks like Hunter S. Thompson. He but does. Like like from the neck down. He's but from the neck his, up. He looks like every sort of like it, stepdad. He looks like he spends from the neck up. He spends too much time at the comic book store. From the neck down, he is Hunter S. Thompson. This guy's cool as fuck. I and I wanted and he's an undercover. Mm-hmm. He's undercover with his Hawaiian shirt, yep. and I'm pretty sure it's way too unbuttoned with a big white ass underneath. big ass service revolver mm-hmm. in, in his pants. Uh, and wearing like sandals and and high socks. dirty socks. Oh yeah. So he gets out of his car that pulls up to I believe a motel. Mm-hmm. Um, and full disclosure, I watched this in two sittings. I watched about half an hour of it and was like, I can't right now. And then waited till the next day and watched the rest Which, of it. So keep in mind with the title sequences, <laughs> that is really sad because you didn't even make it to the midpoint. Oh no! Um, this is an eighty-nine, or I'm sorry, a seventy-nine-minute runtime. Yeah. So you didn't even make it halfway before oh, no. you had to take a break. No. Um, maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace for it, which is why I'm. Tr- I've been trying to judge it more on the merits of filmmaking than the merits of the genre. Mm-hmm. And it's still difficult. So we open with this really cool scene. Um, the the guy in the in the car pulls up some other cops show up that are sure. clearly like undercovers and they bust into this door mm-hmm. and out come the who we who we assume are the uh, main have, characters yeah we I have guess. three perpetrators that we're hoping that either them or fun cop harmar cop are our protagonists right so they pop out it's a gunfight immediately mm-hmm. they start running. We got uh, two guys and a and a and a lady, and they start this this I think kind of awesome it's little a great foot shootout chase. foot chase, and uh, it's There's shot a lot really of tension. Well. A lot of tension. One of the guys gets shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's clearly the love interest of the 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 lady, and it's very realistic because he's shot. in the the mid to low back, but he's still moving. He doesn't. And, he, and they shoot a cop. Yeah. In the middle of this. Like, yeah. it's a full-on gun. Like, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I was like, we got a full-on gunfight and chase immediately. And it's like, but the thing that was interesting is this is like a very public gunfight, too. Yeah, and he it was a pretty badass shot. He shot the cop in the throat. <laughs> yeah. And then that guy, the other Murph cop, uh, the, the cool cop we like, shoots this guy in the gut. Yes. In the side. Yes. So they're running through parking lots, and then they start running through very Los Angeles alleyways. Mm-hmm. Hopping sort cement of, walls. Yeah, between apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where they get caught. Yes. So the two guys get away. Of course. Uh, even though one of them is on death's door. He mm-hmm. essentially gets helped over the top. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the lady gets stopped. Which I think... There's a brief moment where it appears as though she doesn't get away because she's helping the guy who she clearly loves, who's been shot, right. up over this wall. And the other guy is sort of receiving him on the other Should side. Should she have been 
more selfless, she would have gotten away and right. not been caged. More selfish. Yes. Yes. She Instead, she was selfless. Correct. Sorry. And did, so that's, I think that's our character development for her. It, it is. That's supposed to be her saving the cat. Right. Yeah, exactly. Before that was even a thing. Yes. Uh, in the zeitgeist. Yes. They hadn't even made a blank check yet. I know. Um, the The... So, so in hindsight, that's actually pretty good character development. Yes. And in hindsight, it's a good step for this character going forward. This episode should be called In Hindsight. Because <laughs> I can already tell that as we go through this, after I've shit on it for like 25 minutes, I'm going to start understanding some of it a little more. Sure. and Because I've, there's a point where I thought, is this just over my head? And I should say that I've had a, a significant <laughs> a more time to process and digest this film than you have sure and uh, i can't say that i feel better about it but i think that talking about it will make me feel better about right. it i'll tell you this is the least notes i've taken on any of the movies Same. so far and what i found interesting was that it's very quick we go to um where she's being sentenced and arraigned yeah and that that is a really um that's this very artsy kind of thing he's trying to do a sort of time transition to getting her to the prison yes and he does it through a a sort of you know the the full black box uh one spotlight Mm -hmm. on an actor sort of thing instead of actually having to show the sentencing room etc which is really the first move where they used artsy filmmaking to make up for the fact that they had such a small budget yeah and you know up to this point i'm still in Totally. And they arraign her and they say she gets 10 to 40 for possession of illegal drugs and attempted murder. And I think it was really funny. Or an accessory to attempted murder. I wrote this down. It's accessory to attempted murder, meaning she wasn't trying to do the killing, yet she's still getting 40 years. Okay, so that's something that was very confusing to me, too. Is it... Is accessory to attempted murder a thing in that respect? I don't know that you can be charged for... I don't know. We are not... No, lawyers. I'm not a lawyer. Please seek legal help if you <laughs> have, were, have been an accessory to yeah, attempted murder. Don't go straight to the cops because I don't know what your rights are, clearly. You're, if you do it and you do it while possessing... Possessing dangerous drugs with intent to sell. And I thought that was amazing that it was specifically dangerous drugs because if it was benign drugs, she would have gotten like 10 <laughs> to 20. Yeah, exactly. It would have been way less. Um yeah, the the that was weird to me, and that, but it's the look. See, also, it's the seventies, and this is a point where I feel like narcotics, like you, have this it's the early seventies. This whole era of narcotics policing is sort of burgeoning at this point. And I think that this is an interesting area. Uh, I'm sorry, <coughs> era for. Um, propaganda around drugs as well sure we're not quite to the reagan era this would be nixon era yes so this is an even more interesting time in terms of politics so it's not quite reefer madness but there's still the this misnomer and there's still a lot of misinformation around a lot of drugs um and drug use and um how great it is to free your mind man yeah and and we're like at this point where are we in um, Vietnam, too? Because this is 74. We're pretty much... We're like in it right here. Yeah, right? but if we're in it, we're about to pete a lot of it. Because 
I remember my my father, as I mentioned, graduated in 73, and that's my basis for it. And he was a year or two too young to be drafted to go to Vietnam. Right. Okay, so... And he would have been 19 when this film came out. Yeah, okay. So, th- so we're just post-Vietnam here yeah. for and, our involvement in it. Which so means... That's another, that's another indicator on where this country is at this point. And that is a great indicator for the artists who created this film. And we're looking at the hyper-violence of this movie, too. Mm -hmm. As well as the music, the tone. We, as a culture, especially the young creatives, were pissed at this time. They were still righteously really mad. Yeah. And then it shows. Not that it really has anything directly to do with what we're talking about this moment, but it just it's in my mind. I keep having to think of the era. And there's an there's an undertone of it that is undeniable because there's a lot of uh, an undercurring theme that we're actually about to touch on with this next scene is this repression and desire to overcome and revolt and um it really does touch on this idea that we, especially young women, are powerless, even now, even as independent feminists of the mid-70s, I'm sorry, 2020s, we are very, you know, like we've been voting, we're in the workforce, we're independent, we don't need a man to have a credit card or a checking account or buy a house. Mm-hmm. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah. But it's... it. it, it there's still an undercurrent and we definitely see that there are women on both sides. Well, yeah. And I also think that um, it's interesting you say that because this movie was in terms of the women in cages genre. One of the things that it was sort of lauded for was having a a sort of feminist viewpoint Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and really having a lot of um, sort of women at the time it would be the sort of women's liberation movement kind of vibes to it like that that was part of the reason why it sort of was well regarded in terms of genre mm-hmm. um to a lot of people but yeah i don't know There's, it just takes a lot of connecting the dots and it's reading also between hard the lines. hard to watch from a modern perspective sometimes, particularly a right now perspective in 2020. Yeah. 10 years ago, I would have probably viewed this movie differently. Probably. Not not in any weird way, but like in a way that's like, like I would not have really, I, I wouldn't have been as confused by some things that happened. Sure. And I, I will note that my perspective. Or like bumped by things maybe. Right. My perspective on a lot of movies have changed since I've uh, transitioned into my, 30s and i'm now into what you could call your mid 30s um i we are not quite in our mid 30s yet i feel like 33 is is early mid 30s okay if we want to we want to go there i'm gonna break it up into early mid and late and right now i'm still in early because mid assumes 35 (laughs) okay so what I mean is that there are certain films that I I'm used to have the child perspective of. Yeah, yeah. And now I see it from the, oh my God, how do you just leave your child at home? It's yeah. Kevin. Like, yeah. hello. It's the way that every 10 years the movie Home Alone takes on a different meaning to you. And it scares me a little bit more yeah. every time. Totally. And and this movie has a lot of that. Um, but okay, so so we got the good... The best, I think, probably the best scene in the movie out of the way. And then we get hit with the title card. <clears throat> yep. And then the following scene isn't so bad. It's a it's a dream sequence. And it's definitely sexually charged. Yeah, so we, we get introduced to this prison 
via a prisoner's dream sequence. And I wrote down that this was a horny giant knife dream. That was crazy, right? So this, so we see like a this really artsy, like beautifully shot yes. sort of hallway that it, in a prison cell block with a with a light at the end of it, like a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a lot of there's a lot of metaphor going on. There's here. a lot of visual metaphors, and and um and every time there is one of those dream sequences when they show a hallway, they do blow out the end of it like that. So this really attractive guy, super like burly, sweaty guy, uh, sort of rolls into frame. You know what I mean? Like he does a full James Dean into frame. Oh, he is. He leans up against the thing, and he against the the cage, and he rolls into frame. You know, and I believe he's smoking a cigarette. And um, he's stalking his prey like a big cat. A hundred percent. And and the this blonde woman, who is is this the blonde woman that um, gets put in the hole later? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's her cellmate, mm-hmm. right? Um, I have a lot of trouble with names and stuff in this movie because no one was very like it was very difficult to like recognize people. Several of the names are not actually spoken out loud until the second act, right? And they, um, and, and, and it's like I have full on seventies blindness. Like none of the actors are recognizable enough for me. Well, I to, can like, tell them apart when their shirts are off. Kind of, kind of. Because yeah. there's the one blonde with the bigger nipples, and then there's the other blonde yeah, with tiny nipples. Basically, and that one has pointier boobs, and that one has bigger boobs. But the way and the way that they're portrayed is sort of like you've got your two African American characters, you've got the brunette, and then two blondes, mm-hmm. and that's the way they portray it. They mm-hmm. don't even give you enough. Like there's it. It um. There's there's fairly solid character development but no like identification of character from time to time they don't ever let you let you know who sits where very well somebody one of the blonde girls needed a tattoo or something to really differentiate if if you're not going to give us names sort of early and often correct um because no one gets a real everyone gets an introduction sure but but what's double confusing about this is so so this is our introduction to this character, to the whole movie, really, to the whole like. This is our prison. introduction to the prison. Um, so the 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 sexy guy comes in and he leans up against. He he finds our uh, this this blonde girl, and um, they start making out through the cage, through the yes. bars, uh, and then they eventually start, I guess, having sex through the bars. To me, it was more just grope groping. Yeah, and it's it's kind of hot. It's not bad. Yeah, it's like clearly a sex, and this is where you're like. This is clearly a sex dream. Yeah, this is where you grab your popcorn and you're like, okay, I'm in for this movie. Right. And then Homegirl pulls out the largest fake knife I've ever seen. It's basically a small, like a sword. It is the size of her torso. Yes, and it's the most fake knife I've ever seen. Yes. It was. It might as well have been made out of cardboard. And she just starts stabbing the dude. Mm-hmm. And like laughing about it, right? Maniacally. Maniacally laughing. And then she wakes up. Mm-hmm. And there's women screaming around her and moaning. And you can hear all the sounds of the prison. Mm-hmm. And she... Um, and that's it. And that's it. That's, that's all we know and about And we cut character. to our next scene. And that's how we learn that this movie is actually about the prison. Right. And the next scene is is our, I guess, protagonist. I mean, like, she does sort of become the protagonist. She's the person I guess we're supposed to be following. Well, we immediately cut to everyday prison life in the yard. And what I find... What oh, I'm, my God. I forgot about that. See, I, I took so few notes that I'm just trying to remember the ins and outs of this thing. I know. And it's a little confusing because we do jump around a lot. And there's honestly no point 
other than to establish the fact that there is a prison with several presumably hundred women at it and apparently to um show that they don't have uniforms that they're all wearing the clothes okay. that they're arrested in i did really make a note of that 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 was really weird this is the only time i've ever seen a prison like in any movie ever really portrayed. where they that everyone just wears whatever clothes they were wearing when they came in and accessorizes yes these are well accessorized women. Well accessorized because unless you're in the hole or in the clinic, the hospital clinic, you are wearing the plain clothes that you were arrested in. Some people had on sort of pseudo uniforms, but the, in my head at that point, I was like, oh, they must have had some horrible thing happen and that's the clothes they have now. Right. So like if you fuck up your uh, one pair of clothes, but they all seem to have clothes yeah. access. And there's so and many belts and necklaces and things and you never with buckles and laces and a lot of this movie to me came into like do you remember the old that commercial the uh the old ladies in the the wall of Facebook wall no. and she's and she's trying to say like I'm gonna add you to my wall yes. and she's like that's not how this works that's not how any of this works that's all I could think this entire movie yes that's not how any of this works even in 1974 sure but so, so you're right we, we do see them in the yard everyone is dressed fucking normally but they're just in a cage and, and this is where they start trying to pepper in humor it is and the one thing I did find ironic that I enjoyed was that we, we pan across this yard of hundreds of women standing around, and on the wall it's spray-painted, no, no loitering. Laugh. No loitering? I thought it said no laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I just misread my confused... Your, your own handwriting? My yeah. own handwriting. Well, that's what's so f- stupid and no ironic. No laughing. This is the first point where we're like, oh, okay, so what's the tone of this? Because that is a very satirical move. Yes. They wrote no laughing, and they go right into somebody telling a joke. Yes. Now, and th- I don't remember. Is this a character that we know for the rest of the movie? Or is this just some random lady? Don't even remember. So she tells a dick joke. Yep. Um, immediately immediately letting you know that a man wrote this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because in case you're wondering, women do make nothing but dick jokes. Yeah, totally. That's all you guys do. Yeah. Just broads just making dick jokes. Yep. Talking about dicks. You guys can't stop thinking about dicks. It's almost like you're a guy. I know, I don't understand. But to be fair, Jonathan Demi Jonathan Demi was a was a pretty big ally. He made one of the biggest like he made like the the biggest like AIDS representation movie. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like at a time when it was necessary. And he knew his audience. But this is nineteen seventy four. Women are not going to see this movie by themselves. He was a child at this point. Sure. Not really, but you know what I mean. So from this dick joke, we get to see our new arrivals rolling in. And my question is immediately, are we in a quarry? Is that where this is actually being filmed? Because I'm kind of confused by what I'm seeing. I wasn't sure we were rolling up to the prison or not. You know what's funny? I actually made a note of that, but I didn't make a note of that until the end of the movie. I didn't really process that they were in some sort of quarry until the final scene where they're clearly in some sort of quarry because of the way that that is shot. Well, just there's not enough coverage of that quarry. Mm -hmm. So if I look down for a split second, I, I think that's what happened. They never show the quarry again until the last 10 minutes. Correct. And it's, 
it's an interesting way to use a space because it's clearly because of the the budgetary reasons. It's a very claustrophobic movie, actually. It is because there's only a handful of locations, and I feel it's appropriate because it is a movie about prison. At the end of the day, this at the end of the day, this movie's about a women's prison. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. There's, there's a very limited number of locations. They clearly reused. They they clearly had one wall of of uh, prison cells. Yeah. That's it. And it and everything looks dirty as hell. They do a good job of giving you the sense that there are hundreds of women in in this federal penitentiary. My turn. And they they're all horny. They're all horny. They're all um they're all disturbed and they're all trauma survivors. And it's but they're still horny. Yes. Yes. These are the horniest these are the horniest sexual abuse victims I've ever seen. And they um, they <laughs> come confusing. to the prison and immediately they're sexually abused by the doctor. This is who we meet. Okay, so I wrote down here doctor um what was I calling him in my head? I was calling him a bunch of different things. Do- doctor doctor officer playboy with his pipe. Mm-hmm. And he eventually is full on wearing a smoking jacket. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I don't know what this what movie this character's in. So this is the first time we have a character who's in a different movie in this movie. Yeah, the and first of many. We immediately see him do a sort of checkup on all the women when they first come in. You could call it that. When you go into prison, they do strip you down, and you know. Yeah, it's just not typically in a group of three of your peers. Well, sometimes in it, it's, I've I've seen things where they'll do it in a lineup of people, et cetera, et cetera, to get you to put on your prison clothes. But they don't have prison clothes, and usually this is where they take away your belongings. They don't have belongings, so um, they just get to keep all that. But what he does specifically is, uh, first of all, he's the only guy in this movie that's part of the administration, which is another interesting take that mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. The warden, everybody is is female. All, most of the guards, unless it's an armed guard who's on the exterior unless of it's a the cop, prison. Basically. The exterior guards are all men. Yeah. They're all basically just sheriffs. Plain clothes police officers. Or they're just uh they're uniformed police officers. Mm-hmm. But the women who work the prison the guards, the guards are, all are, women. are all women, and they're all wearing like Sailor Moon costumes. Sans the doctor, <laughs> who upon the women coming in, he has them strip, take yep. all their clothes off. And hold on, at this point, right after he tells them to take their clothes off, etc., I'm like creepy, but we haven't really gone over the line yet. Oh, but he gets there. That's what I'm saying. So this is the point where we're at this point. I'm confused because he's puffing a pipe that he puffs the whole time, like he's a. Like, like this is this is like community theater level choices this guy's making. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, then what happens after he tells them to strip their clothes off? Then he tells them they're going to do calisthenics and to do some deep knee bends. So this is played as a this this is this is telling you this character is a creepy motherfucker on purpose, but it's also trying to make a joke. And I don't find it funny, nor did I get that it was a joke at the time, because as soon as he does this, he pulls out a pair of duck lips and claps right. them together. So, so, so that was double confusing. So, uh, okay, so this guy, the thing is, it's this era of dirty jokes, okay? And what they're trying to do is make dirty jokes out of a a horrible person and situation. He's supposed to be this this character is clearly supposed to be a bit tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. But the 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 severity of what he's doing is upsetting. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like, this at this point, I'm like, uh-oh, I don't know what the tone of this movie is. Because he pulls out the um, speculum, mm-hmm. and then we cut away, right? Yeah. So that's supposed to be the whole, like, and I'm going to diddle No matter joke. what you cut to after that, it's a smash cut. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter what you do. They don't even bother putting a fancy transition like they do later in the film randomly. Right. However, there it, is a there is a, a spiral wipe at the very end of the movie. I don't know. It really got me. And but what gets me about this is, and if you're for the ladies listening, you know, unless he's using a mirror, he's not get the right angle for the women just to do deep knee bends to get in there and take a peek. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why gynecology office have beds with quote stirrups i have to remind you that a man wrote this movie right and he has clearly never no never lived this with a is woman. this is and the thing is that the jokes and the humor in this are like playboy article level like old school playboy articles um you know like it's dirty it's dirty limerick level jokes mm-hmm. um which again is a thing where it's like art school kids that 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 are really that when you want them to do comedy they do something ironic and parody that is on the nose because they don't understand the subtlety of comedy. Correct. They know that's a thing that exists. Mm-hmm. It's like a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so so we have this first like Doctor Gropey comes in and does that. So we are introduced to this guy and 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 I'm I'm hoping I'm not going to see him again. But unfortunately, I see him for the rest of the movie more than I'd care to. Being increasingly weird and increasingly unclear whether or not he is a is a um he's supposed to be played as comedy i don't get it because of the jokes i'm not sure if he's our villain or if he's just a guy who's taking advantage of the situation right well we cut from the speculum to the lunchroom and this cafeteria scene could have been just like the establishing shot like scene for the prison and my favorite actress is this older african-american lady oh she's great and she, we cut to her and eating this food, and boy, she hates that food. She is chewing up the scenery and letting you know how awful this food is. And this character, she shows up. She doesn't really have any lines, no. but she's in it a lot um, as just sort of the row of women. She's just there, and she takes up all the space. She's all the yeah. filler you would ever need. She's one of the um, 30 people who are actually in this prison. 30's actually the most generous. extra of all of the extras. Yeah, so she's she's great. They cut to her, and then and then this is where, at this point, I'm still confused, but I think this is where we're supposed to have our our main character, whose name I lear- later learn is Jackie. Jackie. Jackie Wilson. Wilson. Jackie. Wilson. Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. As all administration refers to uh, inmates by last name, first name. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. Sure. Um, <laughs> she sits down with a crew of people. Uh, who happened to be her people for the rest of the movie. Well, when you enter prison, you make friends fast and just... Or you make enemies, and she made both. Both, in the same conversation. And just like a middle school lunchroom, where you sit is where, you know, you fall socially. And she sits with some loudmouths, but she mm-hmm. learns a lot. And she starts to complain. They ask her how she's, you know, adapting and... I'm still confused by all the plain clothes, but yeah. we learn... This is our first real expositional scene. Mm-hmm. We learn that she's feeling a little claustrophobic, which is understandable. And then we meet Bonnie. 
who is is she the crazy one? So Bonnie is the one that has been lobotomized. And they slash, say that, slash raped. Oh God. And so we'll get there. They they explain that you need to get over this claustrophobia or else you're gonna end up like Bonnie. Yeah, and then they cut to her who's a mumbling, bubbling, sort of like drooling zombie. And so anytime they need that, they cut back to Bonnie mm-hmm. and I just wrote down, Holy fuck, Bonnie. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, whoa. Okay. What happened to Bonnie? <laughs> we want to know what happened to Bonnie because Bonnie couldn't have always been Fuck. like this. This allergy season on top of this damn quarantine is killing me. If you guys have noticed, I sound like I have sandpaper in my throat. This whole allergy season's got me going nuts. Okay, so Bonnie, yeah, so we have this lobotomy scene. The, the other thing is this movie sort of wants to play like it's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm, but so it's not. It's not. It's like a schlockier, like the the dark humor they're trying to play is very much like they're aping One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it doesn't work. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Like these aren't just mentally. Um, no, these aren't people with mental deficiencies and mental issues. These are people with um, or mental health problems in general. These are people who have been physically abused sexually abused emotionally abused these are all trauma victims every single person in this prison is some sort of trauma victim and from their stories none of them ever did anything technically like that deserves their sentence sure which is a weird extreme sentencing for some reason it's all extreme sentencing um so we meet we find out that that if you if you start to act weird they send you to uh ct what is it? The C. I have it C-T-U, written down. CTR. CPT. CPT. And it's correct. We learn later. It's corrective physical therapy. Or corrective psychotherapy. Right. Yeah. I thought she wrote down physical. Maybe she did. But sometimes it says psycho it. this and physical that. Yeah. We're going to get to our psycho. Uh, what was it? The psycho surgery. Mm-hmm. Um. So so she's dealt with that. This is where we meet um, her two real friends in this movie. And they start out as frenemies, which is kind of fun. Sort of, yeah. Um, no, 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 no. That's another character. So this we're first oh. we're first meeting um, uh, Bonnie. No, not Bonnie. I'm sorry, you guys. This is Maggie. This is super confusing. We're meeting uh, Klepto. Sure, and that's uh, Paloma. And Paloma, Paloma just can't help herself. Isn't she the one who steals Maggie's cigarettes? Yes. So we're getting a taste of everyday block life. And we haven't met Maggie yet, though. And girls are hanging out on the cell blocks. And this is when Maggie discovers that she her cigarettes are missing. Right. And the name of this character, fucking just hang on, because I'm trying to remember the fucking name. Belle. Bell is the klepto his name. Sure. So Bell, we we've met Bell and then we met the other character who is probably my favorite character, Pandora. So Pandora and Bell are uh are her friends. Yes. Those are the ones she sits okay. with at the yeah. table who yes. give her the lay of the land. Okay. And I think Pandora is my favorite character in this movie. She's immediately like she's full on like she's full on seventies like Foxy Brown character, right? Mm-hmm. So like in a modern movie, she'd be she'd have been played by like um um like she's like straight out of Jackie Brown, you know, mm-hmm. in in modern terms. But it's that black exploitation era. Like she is Foxy Cleopatra, mm-hmm. right? And I love this character, and I think that she's going to be a really good character until she's fully underserved for like the next 
45 minutes of the movie. Sure. Um, but but like you said, we learn that Belle is a kleptomaniac. Uh, mm-hmm. She can't not steal things. That's sort of her mm-hmm. deal. She doesn't even smoke, but no. she stole this pack of cigarettes. But she stole this pack of cigarettes from... Maggie. Maggie. And Maggie is sort of our first antagonist that is not the establishment. Correct. Um, and she's real hot. I just have to get real that hot, out there. right? Yeah. And and uh, like, don't get me wrong. The women in this movie are extremely attractive. They're all very strong. They don't have a lot of like. They're not. They don't exhibit as weak unless they're physically overwhelmed or chemically overwhelmed mm-hmm. by like multiple people, which is which is a positive note in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, and allowing them to. Oh, we'll get there. But anyway, so so we have the cigarette stealing moment. And is this post the first uh, shower scene? No. No, that's not yet. So they we, we learn that, first of all, all the cell block doors are open. Sure, this is free time. So They just let people walk in and out of cells. Which is interesting for a federal prison <laughs> because usually federal prison, you're either in the yard yeah. or you're in your cell Correct. or you're eating or bathing. But this is like... This is summer camp prison. Mm-hmm. You're free to hang out in the hallways, go from cell to cell, mm-hmm. hang out with your friends. Say someone down the block steals a pack of cigarettes from you, you're allowed to go into their cell, ransack them, rip their clothes off of their body, and find your cigarettes under their mattress, even though they don't smoke. There's a lot of like exposing of breasts. Just It's clearly played for... TNA. And I've never been in the kind of fight where I or the other party just wanted to rip the other person's shirt off. Yeah, specifically their shirt. It's a weird childhood. Like, there's, a, there's a lot of sophomore immaturity to this movie in terms of nudity. But there's also a lot of like, they're just nude here. This is also where I... Which is good. Finally wrote down that there's an amazing and accurate lack of bras. Yes, this is where you really start to notice it. Yes. Um... So they get in a fight. This is where we learn that she's sort of the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But after this. But again, she's so hot. I don't care. I'm yeah. liking this antagonist. Well, isn't this. This is where I'm starting to really question the tone of the movie. Because we've gotten kind of goofy. I'm confused. Again. And now we're back to serious. Yes. And this is where we move into. Jackie goes back to her cell. Right. And Jackie, we quickly moves into a dream sequence that becomes very obvious. It's actually a nightmare. Um, where all of a sudden a man comes into her cell and starts kissing her upside down. Yes, and there's a slow motion chase and yelling, and then she wakes up screaming. Right, right, right. And then the women of the prison start yelling for everyone to go back to sleep. And it's one of those that I imagine is all too accurate, where there are multiple floors of people screaming to shut up and to shut up. Yeah. And 30 seconds later, they're all still yelling for them to shut up. And um, I thought that was actually pretty good coming out of that. Because you see that a lot. It's very tropey. Yes. But also like... The way they played it was very... He did a good job. Yeah. This is where the artsy things happen and you're like, okay, there's something to this director, but... And then they use this bleach out after that. Like they they go from the the floors of women like screaming at each other in the dark of night, and our protagonist Jackie is visibly shaken and upset in bed mm-hmm. and trying to self soothe herself. And then we go to this bleach out, and I had to like pause for a moment because it, if that bleach out affected me, yeah, it it, it tells he tells he, the one thing that is one of the things that is really good about this is when people edit. As someone who's edited a lot of shit, when you edit something, 
every edit is supposed to have intent. And every transition you use is supposed to have intent. So that's why when you see something someone did on YouTube that is kind of disjointed and it has a lot of crossfade dissolve transitions and swipey that are meaningless. things that they made for home video, they don't mean anything. And those don't, they seem out of place because they don't mean anything. At the end of the day, the best cut is just a straight up cut mm-hmm. um, to another thing to me. We, 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 um, we go through different eras of the way things are edited and cut. But at the end of the day, th- every cut has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's usually to show motion or to show time or to change perspective. And, and he's actually really good in this at doing that. So like you said, this like they um this cut to white where they dip to white and sort of let the the lens, you know, the the camera flash and then they cut to daytime. Mm-hmm. And, and now and and that tells you that this was a long night. This is a long night, but it also it for me it gives me that emotional <laughs> shock of the trauma that she is currently enduring. Right. And it gives me that wash of Oh, okay. No one's in control. Yeah, yeah. So and we, the we, next day we get to this box trucks, and because of also that, everyone's aware. Sorry. Also, you're right. Not only is it a lack of control that it shows is like is it shows that not only are you not in control as the viewer, but no one in this building is in control. You haven't met who's in control yet. You don't even know who's in control. Exactly. Um. And so, so go ahead. And so I'm. I'm on edge when we cut to the next morning and we see this box truck of women being loaded and they're on their way to this farm. And I'm and this a is the first time we see the name of the actual facility there. It is Connerville women's Institute. Yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm uneasy and I'm a little relieved when we show up to a, uh, like a Mandarin farm and I'm yeah, also we, we hit really, a grove. Yeah, like an orange grove here, and I'm I'm also relieved by the amount of '70s jeans. Oh yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of really really tight waisted, tight hipped jeans that just go from the hips straight down with just the widest legs. That High waist, Jinkos. long butt, wide ankles. And it's it's a relief to me to know that they do have additional clothes should they need them. <laughs> right, that it's there. They have something to wear on laundry. They day. do have a secondary set yeah. of clothes somewhere. Which makes me think that they're not just wearing the one pair of underwear they showed up in. Right. Yeah, man. I bet that place stinks. I just can't help but think about these things. It's got a... Every once in a while, you're like, they go into a tone. And this sort of is that where all of a sudden it's like, okay, so are we trying to now be like Cool Hand Luke? Like, is this that kind of prison movie? You know, like, it tries a few different tones on. And this is where my question marks start flying. Oh, yeah. So this is the agricultural center. So this is one of the daily punishment slash routines they make people go to. So you're, mm-hmm. it seems that every day you either are going to have to go do some sort of work at either an agricultural center, which is just them farming, which I'm going to assume is their own personal food supply. I guess. all As far as we can tell, they only eat oranges. Some people have to go work the kitchens. Yep. But it's a very small group of people. And it seems like we rotate. <clears throat> And then some people have to go report to Dr. Creepy's uh, Uncle Uncle Tuck Cheese Naked Puzzle Basement. And it's just, it, it's unsettling. So we go from here to uh, straight up. Okay, this is where it gets really confusing. You're right. Because this is where we cut from the everyone working at the Ag Center to a talent show. Yeah, I said, quote, cut to tambourine concert, question mark. But no, here, okay. 
So I, we we cut to this inside little performing arts space that's inside the prison. And I guess that we're trying to learn. They're showing us these vignettes of what these women do. So we go. We're going from the Orange Grove to now. We're the women are self entertaining. Yeah, but but. There's only two actors. Yeah, there's two women who are doing a skit. And this is when we get to meet, I wrote down Lady Doctor, because they don't introduce her. I mean, rightfully so. They're in the middle of a skit. We're not going to stop down to like right, learn her I want to talk about the skit for a split second. <clears throat> Again, the with sketches, the, humor the, the sketches. I hate the word skit. The sketches that they're doing, even though this, you might as well call this a skit. They don't deserve to be called sketches. This is... This is like, it's like there's, it's like you think they're doing a, a talent show, but then the curtain closes and then the two same actors, which are Pandora and Belle, mm-hmm. come out again in different clothes and do another bit. Mm-hmm. So it's all these really ham-fisted bits. Um, they were very obsessed with sketches in the 70s. Uh, this is when Saturday Night Live happened not too long after this, a mm-hmm. couple years later. Sketch was like a burgeoning thing, right? So they're doing this and then in walks our big bad. We meet. The warden. Well, she doesn't so much walk in as she does roll in because roll she in. is wheelchair-bound. Ma- McQueen. Yes. The warden. Uh, who? It's funny that they... It's it's all part of this little irony that they're calling her McQueen. And mm-hmm. at some point, a couple of the people call her the McQueen. I'm sorry. I Just a second. I seem, My eyeballs seem to have rolled across the room because this metaphor is so... I know. It's on the nose. Um, and she's played by the great Barbara Steele. Which I wish there was more of her in this. Barbara Steele, and she's doing as much as she can do in this movie, but she's, she's again, another character from a different film. So Barbara Steele uh, was in The Pit and the Pendulum with uh, Vincent Price. She was in um, Black Sunday. Yeah, which is in a, a bunch of really uh, famous Italian horror films. She's English. Um, she's still alive. She's in her eighties. She's dropped at gorgeous. Uh, she's been. She's got some teeth though, but that's Britain in the seventies and sixties. Sure. And um, but she looks great. She's in this movie. She's for some reason in a wheelchair. She's got a real like with we these glasses learn on. Why? No, we never know why she's in a wheelchair. She's got uh, these glasses on that make her look kind of look like um, kind of look like a Wonder Woman, like sure. Diana Prince in the seventies Wonder yeah, Woman show. They definitely have her styled down. Yeah, her hair is down. She's supposed to look very matronly. Very conservative in dressing. And I don't know if you caught this, but she's 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 growing more and more angry and put off by these sketches. Yeah, because they're getting dirtier and dirtier. And she's Did you we're learning how crude she is. The joke where our doctor and two of our guards are sitting in a row and they, they all laughed. three hit a hear no okay. see no I wrote speak that, no evil. I wrote that down because it it's it confused me so much. This is where my question started too. So first thing was like yeah, so the the three of the admin people actually did a speak no hear no see no evil and it's a very quick cut. It's just it. like why? Because we know these are dirty jokes. We know that they're supposed to be offensive, but they wanted to re and we we can tell that the administration is becoming offended. And is this just supposed to be the fastest way for us to learn what side the administration is on? But also that's a joke. Why did they do that joke? Right? What is the tone of this I movie? I don't understand. No, I don't know. I don't understand what they're trying to do. And this is when McQueen, she just leaves. She literally rolls out. Yeah, but we forgot about one thing. Mm. This is the second movie in the first three episodes of this podcast where we have a boner under the sheet joke. 
Oh my God, you're right. We had one in the first episode in Tammy the T-Rex, and in this one, the the during the sketch, for some reason, I can't really follow what's happening in the sketch. One of them gets a big old boner, and then the other one straddles it. And the and it's creepy pretty, doctor, it's a, it's a pretty good bit. Pre creepy doctor thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, I'm kind of with him on this. It's kind of hilarious. Just let the record show that Katie is in line with rape doctor. <laughs> With Doctor uh, Doctor Playboy Officer, <laughs> I mean, because f- in the context of the sketch, it was a good bit. We've I got mean, yeah. two women up there dressed One, as men. Guess what? One's got a dick. One's got a dick. One's got a boner. And <laughs> it's got yeah. And the other one gets on it because she's also a woman. Because what else do you do with it? Oh God! So you're right. McQueen breaks a pencil because that's what she does when um she's she's very arch. Look, she's not. This character's not great, but she's doing a good job at what she's given. Yeah, and so she has a guard. It's Barbara Steele, come on. Yeah, she has a guard shut down the uh, the show, and mm-hmm. Pandora gets out one last joke, which was really great. And she, under her breath, but loud enough for the entire auditorium to hear, says, "Some climax." Yeah, you got to. You got to hit it. You got to hammer it home. That one kind of made me smile, and then back to confusion. Well, we cut from this, so they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I believe that this... This is where uh, McQueen goes back to her office. Okay. so this is where we start to get... Um, this to, is the scene that I want more of. They want to show her as a sympathetic character. And it's very clear, especially as we get along in the movie, that she is the bad guy, but she's not the worst guy. Sure. That's that's the idea they're trying to posit. I guess. That that she has a sympathetic character. She's she's we see her wheel into her room and pull mm-hmm. herself onto her couch where mm-hmm. she sleeps. There's an establishing shot of a photo where I think they're trying to tell us it's a family photo that is in black and white and I'm believing that it's her as a child with her parents mm-hmm. and she's playing and she's clearly um physically able to walk and and yeah. run and play she, in this they're, photo. They're trying to do, to exposit something here. So she hasn't always been paraplegic. Sure. And also it's unclear how paralyzed she is because did you notice there's also a walker in the room, which is very confusing. Yeah. And I, was, I spent a while focusing on that walker. Me too, because I was she it, she made a big show of pulling herself onto the couch. But with this walker, it tells you that she can at least stand to get herself onto the couch. Right. She can move her legs. They just can't support her weight. Sure. So that's my So I don't know. I I wish I knew more about her as... And they don't give you enough. Nothing. So all they give you to really show her is that picture and then this fabulous dream sequence. Oh my God. This is my favorite dream in the whole movie. This was the hottest thing in this whole film. So Barbara Steele, you have McQueen here. She's on stage now. She's showing A, that she's jealous of what the other girls did. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to be liked. She mm-hmm. wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also wants to hold uphold her um, her prude sort of... Her moral she, standards. She wants to hold her moral standing, but she also wants to be sexy. Yes, because, my God, <clears throat> according to this dream, all she wants to do is dance. Yes, she, wants, she does this burlesque sort of number. She is a showgirl. It's a real cabaret thing. And that um, out that she that she's in this leotard mm-hmm. that is just gorgeous. Yeah. Beyonce would wear it. Full yeah, full full cabaret makeup. She's performing for uh, all of the prisoners, and they're adoring her. 
Mm-hmm. And then she and I'm loving this. And she's but she's also giving these speeches about morality and in the middle of it. She gets real bitter and she's like, "Don't you realize it was sex that put you in behind bars right. in the first place?" And she's just so vitro like just ugh, about yeah. it. There's this very She's very bitter. It's the duality of her character that we're supposed to see that this all comes from a place of being bitter because she's stuck in that wheelchair. And that's sort of a ham-fisted metaphor. And I just want to But tell I her, want more of it because I want to know more about the character. I just want to shake her by the shoulders and I think that maybe she needed a friend to say you're still sexy in your wheelchair. I, that's I think I think I, what she's I can't Yeah. Yeah. But I can't tell if if her character is supposed to want to be sexy, want to be accepted, or want them to be more morally upstanding. I think it's all of the above. And that she's conflicted by the whole thing. Because I think that she wants to be a bad girl. So this is this goes back to, this is another segment of us um, putting things into the movie that we don't necessarily know are actually there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that she's she's fantasizing yeah. a lot. I think that this is a, a fantasy. Well, she wakes up from this fantasy into her own office. And this mm-hmm. is where she's disciplining Belle and Pandora. Now, what's confusing to me is that why did she wait till the next day to discipline these two inmates? Okay, I'm sorry. I have to go back to this dream real quick because I have to talk about how beautiful the set of that dream sequence was. There's a lot of color. A hot sec. There's uh, this graffiti bathroom mm-hmm. that I want to rip off. and Isn't that a Prince movie, graffiti bathroom? I think so. Prince. And I want... I, there's something about the symmetry and her writhing around that set mm. that really stood out to me. And I was like, yes, all right, I'm in to this film. I want mm. more of this. I am picking up what this what these guys are putting down. Yeah, no, I really wanted more. Up until this point, I'm wanting a lot more. Spoiler alert, I'm grossly disappointed. Oh, yeah, you don't get it. Um, At this point, like I said, this is where she's disciplining them on the second day, which makes no sense. She's scolding them. Yes. And she... What's really interesting to me is that she um, immediately puts... She puts them in two different boxes quite literally she she assumes that pandora was the one who is responsible for all of it she is very racist when it comes to her punishment and doling it out because she puts pandora in solitary confinement where apparently you need to be nude well okay so and restricts her diet that's a that's a thing that they do a lot in this movie it's funny that you said the racist thing I I know and I know you're you're sort of jesting in that they got to give the 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 they got to make the black character the bad guy. Is it because she had the boner? But I don't think I actually think this movie is shockingly full of very little racism for a movie from 1974. And I think weirdly, that's why this stands out to me because weirdly, it's usually it's very woke in other areas. I mean, and I don't know if I'd call it woke, but weirdly they don't ever mention the fact that anyone is any other color. Correct. And they are just a bunch of women in prison. Mm-hmm. They're definitely women. And they're definitely But in they prison. never really make a point about color. I don't think it's for anything other than the fact that the character, that that character is a stronger character and that character needed to go into the hole, according to Jonathan Demme. I think that's what she was mm-hmm. literally doing by assuming that she was, you know, the person. Because she, because I think her character is supposed to be the ringleader 
of the her sure. little crew. And I think the McQueen knows that. So I understand what you're saying, but weirdly, it's bumping me because now I'm looking at it going, wow, there's very little mentioned or said about the different colored people in the this movie from 1974. I think it just stood out to me that it wasn't that they weren't punished equally because they both did the skit. Yeah, I think she's just saying you were probably in charge of mm-hmm. the skit because that's how you are. You're in charge of your 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 shit here. You're the sort of the more strong character. And what I found really ironic about this scene was that after so our girls our prisoners leave and McQueen looks to her guard, who I think is an assistant of some sort. And it's she, she, her so The hierarchy of this place makes no sense. It's the woman who's taking minutes of everything. She's a secretary? I, think, I guess. And she says to her that she's like, she's almost bemused. She's almost like reminiscing in the fact that she had this disturbing dream last night and that it was oddly satisfying. And that line really stood out to me because it tells you that here we are hours later presuming that she had that dream you know yeah when overnight that she's still thinking about that dream so right. am i but <laughs> clearly yeah and I, I that that was interesting too but that's like the last of the charactery development we get from her for a while mm-hmm. so she sent pandora to the box and this is where we get solitary. to learn that you're nude in solitary confinement yeah and and i I've reached a point with this movie, I think, in hindsight, where none of the nudity phases me in any way, shape, or form. It's not. It's it's not upsetting. It's not titillating. It's not. Uh, it's literally. I think sometimes they play it. They. I think it's intended to be titillating because it's a Corman movie. It's intended to be TNA, but it's never played for TNA. It just is. Right. For the most part, the nudity is. 100% ignored by everyone on scene unless the doctor is there. And I'm kind of appreciating that more. Yes. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I don't know, man, it's more that we're talking about this, the less that I hate this movie and the more that I think this movie just is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, okay, so so they go to, they send her to the hole where she's not going to be allowed to eat. Mm-hmm. That's made very clear. And that's it. It was a, it's, just a vignette. We just get to see her plopped in there, and then that's it. Because we'll come back and see her again later. But again, like I said, now this character of Pandora is underserved for the next twenty-five minutes. Yes, um, because this time. is where we cut to our first shower scene. Right. So this is where we get our first shower scene, which is played, I think, sort of for titillation, but it immediately goes the other way. You well, immediately realize that this is just a thing they do every day. Sure. And what I like about the shower scenes, and we start with this one in our Tasteful first, bush. A lot of tasteful bush. Um, that We have a little bit of an A and a B story happening in this scene. And that's sure. the most complicated that we kind of get with our story weaving. Yeah. And, and it I, I really... This came to me more later. It really set in. But this story lacks structure. This movie lacks structure in a big bad way. Story structure is not a thing in this movie. Which is why a 79 minute movie can feel so much longer than it really is. There isn't really a... The the, the arc of the movie doesn't... It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, things is- happen and there is a... Res- there, is sort of, there are resolutions to miniature problems mm-hmm. um but there's not a real overarching story to the movie and you do you sort of lose the plot of we're about to get more Jacqueline mm-hmm. but you lose the thread where Jacqueline is important 
you and do you still haven't gotten to a point where we care about anybody not at all but this is where i start to care about is it do we decide that it's bonnie is jackie's roommate not bonnie bell bell and because bonnie's the crazy one bell's the not crazy blonde and this is where bell starts having Bell's her- a little crazy we start to think something's wrong with bell well, she has her own agenda in this scene, which is really interesting because at first I thought she was trying to escape, but while sure. all the other girls are showering, she's on a mission of some I sort. I thought the same thing. She's counting backwards. Which is a really smart device because at first, as we intercut between the shower and following um, Belle, I'm thinking that at some point she starts counting forwards again. And I'm like, wait, did they just have a screw up? Are they, did they not pay attention to where her counts were? Yeah. I thought the same thing, but it is on purpose. And dare I say one of the better parts of storytelling in this film, I thought this was good is what she's doing. So she is, um, I don't think we get to it yet. What happens next is, is in between this, she's, we see her disappear into latrine. She goes into the last stall. Yeah. And pulls a, uh, is it like a piece of sheet metal or a poster or something off the wall? It's just a grate. Yeah. It's and just like a, it's like a ventilation grate. Yeah. So she's able to escape into the wall. Right. And then we kind of cut back to our shower scene, which is where Jackie um, has... A run-in with... Um, with uh, Maggie. Maggie, yeah. And Maggie is the girl from the opening like of the interior the one that The one that Katie has the biggest crush on. She's so hot. She... They have a run-in. She's the one that's that's a little unhinged and is ready to fight anybody. She's anytime. the one whose cigarettes were stolen. Correct. And she immediately gets in a fight with Jacqueline. And now I can't remember why. I think that it had something to do with um, existing. Right. So let's just go with that. They get into a fight, and this is immediately... Jacqueline pushes back real quick. And then my favorite line, and it's in the trailer, which is very funny. um, Maggie says, I'm going to knock your teeth out. I'm going to knock your teeth so far down your throat. You're going to get a picket fence around your asshole. (laughs) I I did kind of love that. I think that's... <laughs> Beautiful and descriptive. Right. And then we have a big old fight. Yeah. So they fight for a while until and the poli- until the uh guards come in to to, to break, break it, it up. up. And this is where we get to see McQueen threaten them with CPT. Yeah, she threatens them with the CPT. She 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 gives them CPT. Um, doesn't she? Yeah, at this point, she gives them No, CPT. she threatens them with it. She lets them know that it's coming. What I thought was weird is that, that there was a line that McQueen said to Jacqueline that I thought was odd, an odd bit of like heavily shoehorned in character development that we didn't need, which is sometimes a thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's too much they're doing but not giving you enough. She specifically said, I know that your parents are dead, but you came from a good family. I know. Did that stick out to you? Yeah, because it's just unnecessary. I don't care. Superfluous. Why do I care? And because it has nothing to do with why she's in prison. No, or why she's acting the way she's acting. No. Like it's it's a very just every once in a while the the McQueen character sort of shows this cuz she's not she's a warden but because she's a female warden it plays in 1974 I guess. It plays like a sorority uh mother. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing plays like a sorority. So what's going on here is they've written a sorority movie based set in a prison. Yeah. 
and and so so that's that's where we get that. But it, it, question because I started skipping things to write down here, so I'm kind of hazy. Do we cut back to Bell here? Because no, we don't, we don't know, know what Bell has been doing. We just later. know that she snuck back in. Right, because we have to completely miss uh, Pandora for the next 20 minutes. Yes, because Pandora is still in solitaire. We have no idea if she is eating, if she's doing okay. Um, but after McQueen threatens them with corrective psychotherapy, this is when we have a quick scene and cut back to the cell block at night and this is when jackie learns that her cellmate is in for yeah she learns that her cellmate is there for stabbing a guy for raping her no raping her friend friend while hitchhiking so they were okay so this is where we really start to understand that these characters that these these women in the prison are not all there for that a lot of them were there for things that were minor not minor offenses because that's murder is murder but they're there for like patriarchically oppressive offenses sure so so like you said i would like to think that a jury of my peers would find that an act of self-defense she specifically says he was a senator's son or something yes and so she got so we've got rapey privileged guy uh rapes this friend while they're hitchhiking she pulls out gets a knife and tries to get him off of there and ends up accidentally killing him yes she stabs him to get away but kills the kid turns out this asshole kid was a senator's kid it's it's a common story it still happens this day it's it's affluenza exactly um and so the senator or whatever has her sent up the river for murder one which is really a weird charge for some for self-defense you'd think but it clearly didn't go all the way through the system exactly this especially is especially the way it should it's have, all even dirty. for 1974 it's, it's all dirty it's supposed to be dirty so and then that's it it's a really quick scene we don't know how jackie feels about it no we don't know how Belle feels about it we know very little about what jackie thinks or feels her character is incredibly underdeveloped for a character that we've seen from the first moments of the movie and we're kind of just along for the ride experiencing things with her which is why the next pertinent thing that happens, I guess is another shower because we just cut straight to the next shower scene yeah and jacqueline is okay that that's super weird so Jacqueline is now a she's just an avatar for the audience yes but in the most hollow way yes we really don't know a lot about her um she's sort of in control of her own shit but she's also sort of on the edge she's definitely the, she kind of comes across as smart in that way that like she's quiet so when she does speak it feels like it's revelation. She's clearly the one with the like the most nonviolent crime. Yes. Like she was just involved with these guys as far as we know. She mm-hmm. didn't really do anything other than kind of get hook up with this and guy. And comparatively, she's in control of her emotions. <coughs> she's not getting yeah. set off by things. She you know, she's able to control her reactions. She's not reactionary. And I don't know if that's a product of character or a product of the actor. Think it's a product of the lack of character. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is that a, does, is that coming from? So it's coming from the. Uh, she wait a minute. Are you saying what I'm trying to ask is is it because the character is supposed to be that way, or is it because the actress is just not good at her job? You know, I can't tell. That's what I'm asking. I honestly can't tell because now I'm sitting here thinking, is she that way, or is it just that 
everyone else is so much that she just seems so normal. She doesn't really do anything in this movie until the last 15 minutes. Which makes her seem kind of normal. Yeah, and and so we go back, like you said, we go back to the shower scene. And this is where we get to follow Belle finally into the wall. We get more boobs, we get more bush, and then Belle disappears into the wall. And it's interesting because she's clearly doing this on her own accord. This is when it's clear that the other women in the prison don't know what Belle's doing. Right. So she sneaks off. She She's counting backwards. And we find out that she's stealing food from sort of like the, what I think is like the break room for the... Yeah, this is clearly where the guards have their little kitchen. There's mm-hmm. refrigerators. It's a little break room. It kind of looks like your um, normal teacher's lounge, honestly. Well, and she takes an odd assortment of food, including um, a... Uh, she shoves a lot of shit in her bra, in her shirt. Not her bra, no one's wearing bras. She's definitely not wearing one of those. Um, you can have a belt. You can have a full-on pearl necklace, but no bras. Mm-hmm. Um, so she shoves all that stuff in her in there. She puts a piece of celery in her mouth. And then weirdly, she steals one egg, which I, the egg has been bothering me the whole time. And my OCD was going nuts with this I stupid I want to know what egg. happened to the stupid fucking egg. I know what happened to the egg. So she puts the egg in there. And then the thing in her mouth, she's still counting backwards. Yes. She gets back in the tunnel, and now she goes and finds who we find out she's looking for the the hole, basically. The solitary mm-hmm. room. She's, draw- she's crawling through ducts, and she ends up in the ceiling above Pandora. Yep. And who's in there, just curled up in the corner. She hasn't eaten in God knows how long. It's been at least two days. So she starts dropping this food down to her in a book. She mm-hmm. gives her what is clearly a, a trashy porno yep. novel like yep. a like a like a louis l'amour Which sort of romance interesting novel to me because clearly one of the guards just had that sitting on top of the refrigerator <laughs> yeah, i know because mcqueen couldn't get to it on top of the refrigerator oh, it's and funny didn't know that the you put that together i didn't think about that at all because i was not trying to read in too much because it was clearly hidden on top of this that's 10 genius cubic foot i didn't even think i wonder if they even thought of that Probably not. I'm. This is one of those like happy mistake art school. Moments. I don't know, man. I just feel like some of this stuff was intentional, but it was played so poorly in the way that this is written that there's a lot of in, in metaphor intended metaphor that I missed because I wasn't looking for it, but you caught it. <laughs> I. That's what I do. I don't know. So she. So she drops all the food down for Pandora, and she and tells one her of she'll the be things, back. One of the things she drops for her is that fucking egg, and Why? it grossed me out so bad. You were asking what happened to the egg. You see it drop down and splat as Pandora's grasping for all the food. And Pandora then gets her hands in the egg and, like, picks some of it up and then does, like, a little, like, mousy, like, like it, rubs it, it like, no, like licks like it, it, and, like, rubs it on her, on her face for a second, the like egg. It. And then it cuts to her, like, eating an apple. So I wonder, was that just a choice that she made as an actor and then they, they were doing coverage, and now she's eating the apple. Because it grossed me the fuck out. Yeah, I'm still not past it. Like, the egg like cracked, it. and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is a gross prison floor, and you just added salmonella to it. Well, and... This quarantine is a nightmare for me, you guys. I am a big old is, germaphobe. Where is she going to the bathroom in solitary? Um, oh, probably a hole in the middle of the room. Uh-huh. Where that egg dropped? Yeah. Uh-huh. But she hasn't eaten... Honestly... I really look at it this way. If I hadn't, if I'd been like starved in a prison cell for that long, I'd probably get over it and eat that raw egg. 
But it's not even eating the raw It's just touching it and it being on the ground. It's just the whole thing bothered me. It's the whole ASMR experience of it that gets me. It was rough. But, uh, again, I think this is a good scene. It's a collection of scenes that make sense in a movie that makes sense, in a movie that otherwise should make sense. These vignettes build up. And this is where we get a great tension moment because Belle's counting and trying to get back and we feel like she still has like 90 seconds left before she's back to the bathroom and the guards say they call it shower time's over and they start gathering all the, the <laughs> and prisoners, they can't find bell and they're missing one they're supposed to be 19 or 20 of them and she's not there so we think that she doesn't make it back and there's this great reveal that she's in the stall just like struggling faking with like she's shitting her brains out yeah because she says rough morning just one or, of those mornings you know yeah, yeah and so lady problems am i right yeah basically and so she gets away with it and we're all good so this is where we get to learn that you're not always at the orchard. Sometimes you get to go work in the kitchen. Right. So I forgot about all this. So she sent to so McQueen clearly purposefully sent um, Jacqueline and um, Maggie to the kitchen with the other with at this point. It's is it the skinny blonde girl or is it just some other actor? I'm not sure if it's um, I can't remember Belle Bonnie or some other blonde with boobs. <coughs> But this is where we get to learn that the guards are dicks. Oh, yeah. This is where Maggie is cooking and they're this all... Is where, this is our nurse ratchet shit. Yep. This they're is, all food prepping and this guard decides to dump cups of salt in this big old stock pot that, that Maggie's, Maggie's been cooking. working on. Um, and, and also peeling... Somehow Maggie... Okay, so this is weird. Maggie's peeling potatoes with a potato peeler, right? Mm-hmm. Later on, we see somebody peeling potatoes with a butter knife, which is like a bit where they'd be like, you got to have to peel potatoes, you know, with a dull mm-hmm. knife. And then you're you going to have to clean this floor with a toothbrush. It's a Sisyphusian task. It's rolling a ball up a hill. Um, and so she pours the salt in there. And this is where we, this is all parallel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This is what they're trying to do. Um, this is that, that sort of vibe that they're sort of missing. Uh, they're missing the mark. And then she picks up the, the, the... A roach. A roach. And then it's this standoff between her and Maggie. And Maggie's like shaking her head like, don't do it. She puts the roach in the food. So Maggie, But like also Maggie, Maggie pulled the salt out with a spoon too and flung it on the ground. Mm-hmm. So then Maggie goes over. And she tastes it. No, she doesn't taste it. She pulls she the she pulls the 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 fucking cockroach out and slaps it oh, onto the right. ground. She slams it on the floor. I thought she was going to eat it. No, like, she uh uh-uh. uh no she she slams sling it onto the ground, but it goes on the the foot of the right because they did this gross close up shot of like gloppy food with a roach in it on the shoe of this um of this war of this prison guard who this lady is not having it. She starts freaking out, mm-hmm. telling then, her to get it off her foot. And then this is where Maggie seizes her opportunity and tries to break out. She tries to steal her gun. Yeah, and and then Jacqueline throws a pot that hits the guard in the head. Mm-hmm. And then starts a fire. And then that somehow starts a fire, and then uh, on the st- in a box, and uh, and and Maggie's got the gun now. She's they've taken the other prison guard hostage mm-hmm. and the her and the blonde girl run yeah and maggie and the blonde girl try to escape 
and this is where Jackie decides she's not going along with it. She's got to help because this lady's on the ground. Now there's a fire. This is where we get to see Jackie's choice of a morality choice of she's going to stay and help the guard who was being a dick. Because she knows she's already in trouble. And this guard's passed out. She could die from smoke inhalation or the fire. And Which is slowly escalating at, at a pace I'm unsure of because it's sometimes a bigger fire and sometimes a smaller fire. It's very confusing. But this is where her Jackie helping this guard is misunderstood as rebellion. And this is where McQueen loses her shit and finally prescribes the CPT. Yep. So we, we, we get another reprimand scene from McQueen where she's got Maggie and um, Jacqueline in there decides they're both just as at fault for this, this thing. Um, and so they get the CPT, which we, which turns out, uh, cause this is where we cut to the CPT, right? Yes. And turns out CPT is just another shock word therapy. for electroshock therapy. And so we go see rapey doctor, doctor officer, playboy. Mm-hmm. And so they strip her down. They sort of strip her down. They strap her down. They, I'm they sorry. strap her down. Yeah. They, um, they strap her down. She's freaking out. He okay. So this doctor doesn't have many lines in this movie. He has very, very few lines in this mm-hmm. movie. He just smokes his pipe and gets a real kick out of torturing women. So, and he's just—that's all his character is. It's a very underdeveloped character, mm-hmm. actually, for someone who's so arch. He's just a mad scientist. He's a, he's a mengala. It's uh. It's so he 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 straps her down to shock therapy and this is a confusing line where she's freaking out and I thought that their their freakouts were good but they I don't think they were. They were so over the top. At one point, she said, "You can't do this. This is this is rape." But he wasn't touching her or being creepy with her. He was literally just shocking her. So the one time, shit out of her. but the one time she calls it like sexual, it's him not doing anything sexual. Right. I, and, and I actually went back to see if he like the one time in the movie he's not doing anything. There's sexual. There's like five people in there, and he's shocking them. And the the responses of all these other like nurses in there are hilarious. They're like into it and like enjoying what's going on everyone's so arch and i think that it's because they've convinced themselves or mcqueen has convinced them that this is rehabilitation mcqueen is very clearly convinced that he's doing good yes so this is where she doesn't know what he's doing well and if she, she knows does, she but doesn't she doesn't understand. understand that's it she doesn't understand what he's trying to do here she just thinks that okay he says that he's a doctor he says that this is what's helping and he's being persuasive to convince her to let him do it mm-hmm. kind of doing the whole like it's not that big a deal i can just fix this everything will be fine and maggie's rightfully losing her shit in the holding cell while jackie's getting she knows what's coming because this is and we later learned this is actually the first time she's figured this out because after her turn of being shocked and we cut to the next scene with the girls back at the prison block she's talking about that this maggie is gets what's it, actually happening but maggie gets it worse yeah. So Maggie gets the shock treatment. It's way worse. Uh, I think actually Homeboy's creepier with her than he is with uh, our mm-hmm. main character. And like you said, it cuts to her telling She's everybody pissed. what's going on. She's mad. She doesn't want to fucking end up like Bonnie. And I do have to say. Who they cut back to Bonnie being all drooly and This is got on- not how one behaves within hours after receiving electroshock therapy. No, it's not at all. Also, at this point, it should have been. This is already an antiquated, you know, therapy device in the city, yes. right? Am I am I wrong there? Did we already stop doing that? They were using it in extreme measures for treatment of um, schizophrenia, extreme uh, depression, major depression, which we know now is the wrong thing to do because it just fries your f- neurosynapses. And 
They mention later that it's to slow down the impulsivity. And that's his I, that's his Mengele idea. Yes. And I just it's really gross. He's literally just a Mengele analog. I mean, down yeah. to like you've got mad scientist guy with a pipe, but you made him like a horny porn star looking guy from the seventies. Um so so this is where Maggie's done. Yeah, and she she isn't having this shit. As if we didn't already know that she wasn't a woman who wasn't gonna put up a shit. She is really not going to put up with this now. But no, for some reason we have to just go back to the agricultural training. Yeah, so so we're right now we're cutting between agricultural training and we're getting a little bit more of Pandora, I believe, in the cell. So mm-hmm. this is where we see her again. Uh, she gets more stuff. This time she's like reading a book and she's into it. This is sort of a f- weird fun and games of her in the holding yeah, cell. Yeah, this over. is a little vignette of her uh, reading this titillating book and laughing about laughing it. Laughing about and it and kind of it. getting into it. Yeah. And that's sweet because we've, we realize that Belle's the reason why she's not losing her mind. Right, and this is where I, it, that scene comes in as almost like a, because I'm literally thinking, and I wrote it down like, man, Pandora's so underserved. Yeah, but this is where... But this is where they. it feels like he thought, oh shit, I forgot about that character. Sure. And then gave her this little scene. Uh, yeah, because this cuts is cut with... This is where Belle is caught by the old lady who really is the sorority house mom, and she dies. Yes, so this old lady who we've seen a couple times, turns out I think she's just like a cafeteria worker. Mm-hmm. Um, Belle is in there trying to get more she's uh, back in the food lounge. for for Pandora, and she she's running in. out of time. She's getting down low on time, and then the old lady walks in, and who she we've seen twice. Maybe scares her to death. Literally, it looked like she bonked her head on the uh, refrigerator. Oh, see, I thought she had a heart attack, and no, they just assumed that they maybe that she killed her. It looked like she went back and lightly bonked her head on the refrigerator, and then fell down. Either way, she dies, and it's not Belle's really Belle's fault no it's an accident yeah she essentially kills herself <laughs> because she's old that's basically what it is but Belle gets caught and taken down uh and this is bad yeah they take her down to the clinic and you know it's bad because we've already established that when you get in trouble that nothing really happens you get scolded you get threatened with cpt and then you get cpt but yeah. she's being straight taken to the clinic because this is just too outrageous of an offense well i uh, i think the way i read it is that she's taken down there to get her sentencing and mcqueen is consulted by dr what's his but which happens later but she's but because she doesn't go straight to the clinic she goes to she goes to mcqueen's office first and then mcqueen has to talk to the doctor Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that or she gets put in that psycho CPT holding cell. That, and that's what it is. They put her in that like holding room or something like that. And then we cut back to the grove, the orange grove. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's going to happen with her yet, but we're back in the orange grove. And this is where this we is where see Maggie takes her opportunity. Yep. Cause we see more bumbling cops. One of the cops is trying to hook up with one of the uh, prison wardens who interracial. Yep. 1974. Again, Glad to see it. That this is like no one ever mentions race. It's just a really fascinating for this for a movie like this in this time period. It just it's blowing my mind because it didn't even dawn on me during the movie until we started talking about it. But anyway, um, Bell ta- uh, or uh, Maggie decides she's going to go for it. So her and this other character Hazel, mm-hmm. um, 
they fake an accident. Yeah, and Hazel falls off a ladder, yep, quote unquote. She falls down the ladder and uses the opportunity of the guards coming over to steal his gun and um, escape. Then knocks him out. Somebody gets shot to shit. Well, and she knocks him out, and then Hazel and her start running. Mm-hmm. And when they're running, the other co- the other guards come in with their their guns and shoot the bejesus out of Hazel, mm-hmm. who we've met for like two seconds, but she's an accessory. She's just an accessory blonde that we. She's not a blonde. She's another another African American character. Oh right, right, right. Um, because I was confused because this is where Jackie takes notice and decides to take her opportunity. And that's where okay, so so the. Uh, they 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 get, go to steal the box truck. She steals the box truck. Maggie steals the box truck, and then the cops start chasing after her. So so Jacqueline and the other girl who we can the skinny blonde mm-hmm. start running to try and catch up with Jacqueline or catch up with Maggie. She's like, I'm getting out of here too. Yep. So they go, and Mag and Jacqueline makes it to the truck. Yep. But her friend, the gives blonde, up. yeah, she gets stuck. So they drive on, and the cops catch up to the blonde girl but can't get the box truck mm-hmm. and they escape so they, they drive escape. off <clears throat> so we cut back to this is where dr creepy's having his conversation with mcqueen telling her that he can fix uh bell uh mm-hmm. with one he says with one turn of the of the drill with one turn of a screw so, which makes me think, okay, we've got a lobotomy coming. So, he's going to drill. Yep. You actually missed one of my favorite confusing parts. What? The fact that we we get to see where Maggie and Jackie go right away. They pull up and stop at a gas station. Not yet. We haven't even cut to them in the car yet. We have to go back because you got to take little blonde girl home, or at home back to the prison to sentence her. And Maggie's already. And Bell's I wrote already. This, I wrote that down as well. The, All right. Then maybe the we did that in order wrong. So where where do you, where are we actually now? Because I'm confused. So for me, I thought that we went from the orchard to Maggie and Jackie at the gas station where the guy is working on this box truck, and they're trying to get them to hurry up. Right, you're right. And then we're stressed because this dude. Cop I don't car, know. I don't have a fucking clue where we are in this movie. I'm just going based on your <laughs> on your list. So so are you with me when so I tell you right. where we are? Okay. <laughs> um, so this cop pulls up and we think that they're going to get caught. And he runs in to go to the bathroom and tells the attendant to fill it up. And it's just taking too long. And the girls decide to steal the cop car. Yeah, but they're having an expositionary conversation here. If I uh, Expositional conversation here that actually gives you more character development on Maggie. Do you want to yes. get into that? So this is where we learn that Maggie um, cut somebody's balls off. Yeah, Maggie's a badass. Yeah. So some guy in we some learned, situation does something to her and she cuts his balls yeah, off. That's we basically learned the that She is in there for being a badass and sticking up for herself, frankly. Right. And they get the wise idea that, A, they're not going back. They're not going to be shocked again. They're not yeah. going to deal with this anymore. And they have a bonding moment finally. Yes. And we finally realize that they're kind of on the same page because to this point in time, they've really been at each other's throats. They got in the fight in that shower scene. But since they both got in trouble together, it's it's brought them together. They've had this shared trauma of um, the electroshock treatment. And then another bumbling cop pulls up. Yep. And and doesn't notice that this is a this is a uh, like a police vehicle. Yeah. Like a, a not police vehicle, but a prison box truck. Box truck. 
It says it on the side. Property mm-hmm. of correctional facility or and whatever. And I also love that the maintenance guy who's working on the box truck, who clearly works at the gas station, doesn't even notice the girls getting out of the truck and going and stealing the car. He didn't give a shit. This guy's not paying attention to anything. No. And the whole time, Mackie's yelling at him, too. Yeah. But this is also... You know what's interesting is she talks about the guy that the guy that she cut his balls off. It's, it's a weird thing that is an empowerment thing for her character because she says that, like, this guy's a piece of shit. I cut his balls off. But also in the same breath, this is where she starts yelling at the guy, says that like she wants to be more like him, mm-hmm. more like his attitude, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting empowerment place for her and because she's clearly, taken an abuser and then taken on the role of, of their... She wanted to be his equal. Yes. She recognized that he had power over her. She didn't like it. And so she decided she wanted to be like him because she was going to hold her own power. Right. And... It plays as though it was her first boyfriend or her first serious boyfriend and the one who really showed her the ropes of being a bad girl. Maybe even some sort of pimp situation. I can't tell because she later on has friends who work in brothels. It's it's yeah, a, it's a I weird... I wouldn't be surprised. It's nebulous. And this is best. where we cut back to our introduction to Pedora well, being basically, released is just having clothes thrown at her but, face. But essentially, they they to quickly close out that scene, Bumbling Cop goes to the bathroom, they get out of the car, take cop car drive off. Bumbling Cop comes back, oh God, my car's gone. That's the long and short of that scene. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. Um, it is because there's this odd tension. You expect them to feel like they're going to get caught, but then there's... There's not enough... There's, there's not, not enough, enough tension? Stakes. Yeah. They are just able to leave. Okay, so real quick. They're able to like take that truck and leave. No one comes after them. Nope. They're just like, shit, we lost them. Yep. And our own property. And then this cop, the same thing. He's like, God damn it. And no one comes after them. Yeah. Where They're able to just gone? go. Anyway, so it cuts back to Pandora. This is where Pandora is being released and she just has these clothes thrown at her face. Yep. Time's and- up. They're letting her out. And I think it's partially because they got to make room to take care of Belle because they are going to have at this poor girl's brain. Yes. So she's let out of the hole. Um, and we don't really get a whole lot from her other than that she's let out of the hole at this point. Correct. And now it, they're throwing, this is when they're throwing Belle in solitary. Uh, no. Immediate. It's not Belle that gets thrown in solitary. It's the skinny girl who got caught. When they when they escaped. Oh, okay. Yeah, Belle never goes to solitary. See, I get the I, two blondes. That's I get it. Get all these blondes confused I because know. there's not enough character development. Exactly. So the Jackie's friend who was going who got caught on the way to the box truck. She gets thrown into solitary. They're throwing her into solitary. Yep, and she's kicking the walls and all pissed off. And that's a weird comedy moment where she keeps kicking the walls and then grabbing her foot like ow, and then she kicks the wall again and grabs her foot like ow. Like, you didn't need that moment there. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. And I believe this is where we cut back to Maggie and Jackie again. If you wrote it down, then that's correct. Because this is where they decide... No, you're right. They have to ditch the cop car, which is probably the smartest thing they've oh, done. this is where we get our amazing 70s family, where yes. everyone is the most 70s. Like, the Brady Bunch family shows up. So, genius move. They fake like they're cops and they pull over this family sedan i think it's a wagon and literally the perfect 70s family with their dog <laughs> and the guy's singing some sappy song that yep. i don't know we even know what it is so they steal they steal the family's car everyone looks like peter fonda yep the hair is great the clothes are great yeah. 
feathers on feathers on feathers. Oh, everything's feathered. everything's feathered. And this is where we get to go meet one of my favorite characters in the movie. Because oh, one we... interesting thing that I thought that they did in this scene, real quick, is that when they pull over this family and make them give them their car, they make the family get in the cop car and drive in the opposite direction. Yeah, which is interesting to me because they're like, cool. I wish thanks. they would have played that out more. But they just did it, and that was it, and moved on to the next thing. Because I'm like, what yeah. a cool idea of giving them some power to control the situation. Well, they're not leaving them stranded. Yes. They just know that they can't have the cop car anymore. But they didn't show us enough of it. No. I wanted to see I wanted to see a little bit of like pathos in the character by allowing them to Are you shocked that, that there's an underdeveloped scene at this point? No. Okay. All right, moving on. And this is where we get to see our favorite brothel. And we get to meet Maggie's friend, yeah, and, and Crazy Annie. Really quick, the this I got to talk about the, the music here. So as all this is happening, there's just a lot of mouth harp, mm-hmm. boing, 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 boing. like mm-hmm. like it's played for a joke. Like they're like it's like a, it's like Dukes of Hazard stuff. Like like they're doing wild cop chases. It's ironic you say that because there's a couple Dukes of Hazard moments in this. Yeah, it's that it's the very '70s like wacky car chase. It's that. Uh, it's almost like a Smokey and the Bandit kind of thing. Like, like you're waiting for like country music to play because you've got bumbling cops, and and then it goes from that straight to this gross brothel where everyone is wearing underwear, mm-hmm. but no one's naked at this mm-hmm. point because I don't understand what they were doing. Totally topless, just in a pair of bikini underwear, and it's real weird, sort of played for comedy panning shot, like tracking shot that pans down the entire hallway. There's a full dolly shot that shows that there's all these rooms where Johns are getting serviced and they're making the craziest sex noises I've ever heard. Yeah, I've never heard someone make these noises when we're feeling pleasure. They sound like this. Come on, I'll hit you like you want to be here. Get in here, big boy. So, yeah, exactly. So that's what the weird sex noises sound like. It's like it's a comedy. It is. This is the we. This is one of the few comedic scenes. And what did the outside of the building say? It said something like, um, "It says something like." sexual uh therapy or something like that something and it was blatant it was, was it happening. was it was a, it was on the level of like the the uh business that changes the beginning of every bob's burgers intro yes like it was that kind of joke yes i was like okay yes so they roll into this place and this Jack, is where uh, Maggie, Jacqueline and Maggie and Maggie is here because she's finding her friend this is where she finds crazy, crazy alice i thought it was crazy annie Crazy Alice. I'm watching too much community, which is back on Netflix. I'm going to find out if it's Annie or Alice. And so Jackie kind of buzzes off and lets the two of them have a, a reconnect. And we intercut between Jackie and Maggie both having their connection at the same time. Jacqueline's on the phone talking to her crew. Correct. So from the, beginning the guy, of the movie yeah, from whatever. the very beginning of the movie, she's talking to one of the guys and she wants fake IDs and she wants to know about Sparky and all those things. And this is where she learns that Sparky died. Yeah. So Sparky's dead. He, he bled out essentially. And this is clearly bothersome for Jackie because 
if we're not mistaken, this is who she had a love interest with in the beginning of the film. Yeah. From our establishing. But they opening. don't give her any time to deal with it. No. Um, partially because we're we're intercut with, with Maggie. And it is Crazy Alice. It is Crazy Alice. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, um, we we don't get to learn too much about what's going on with Alice um, other than, you know, her entire life story and everything that's happened since Maggie went to prison for some reason. Yeah, for some reason we get all of her backstory, and we which don't doesn't care. matter. We don't know who any no. of these people's names are. She's now the facilitator for what their big next plan's going to be. In fact, Alice is giving us the exposition for a movie we didn't ask to see. Exactly. And... This, we're growing so tired of it, and Alice's client is growing tired of it because he decides to come out and bust them because he's an undercover cop. Yeah, and look, if you're going to go to an underwear brothel, you got to know that occasionally an undercover cop's going to come in there yeah. in his dirty underwear. I mean, underwear. this is the the uh, the Hooters or the Twin Peaks <laughs> of brothels. Of brothels. Where it's j- upper only, you know? Yeah. No now, touching. Not even uppers. They had, they wore dirty underwear. This is true. This anyway, is true. Um, so they leave the gross brothel because Alice is going to help them. Yep. They knock out this cop. Yep. And who pulls a gun and then immediately Jacqueline's like, fuck this shit. And, and Maggie him pulls out. some hardcore wrestling shit and breaks a chair over his head. Yeah. They threw him in this room and break a chair on his head. And then they're like, then Alice is like, God damn it. And this, and is, then they just leave. And then they leave, and that's all we get to know about it. That's where we cut back to. This is the McQueen conversation, exactly. And this so, is where the doctor says that he, with a sw- single twist of the head, he could make a difference, just like with Bell. Or single twist of the of the screw, he can of make a drill. difference, just like with Bonnie. Which is funny because you literally did three I things can't. backwards. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> the two characters, another blonde. This one is comatose most of the movie. I can't help it. Um. Anyway, so just like with Bonnie, he wants to lobotomize uh, Belle. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where he just convinces McQueen that that's the right move. And she's just like, okay, if you say so. Um. Because it's all about his cell. Is It's all about calming them down and making them more malleable to mm-hmm. order. So it's a real pre Margaret Thatcher kind of vibe that this yes, she's giving. We off. have to call we have to calm these hysterical women down. Yeah. They can't help themselves. We have to intervene. And this is sort of again out of time. This is a this is a, not the time period where this is a thing. However, it seems like a, a worry on the mind and the zeitgeist at this sure. moment in time. Which it seems to go through those cycles where that becomes a more public worry, you know, every twenty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as 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 a women get more rights and more visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gives him permission. She she thinks that this is how she's going to help Belle by yes. making her more like Bonnie. And this is where I really start to question the motives of McQueen because I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, so we're supposed to, she's supposed to be sort of sympathetic, yet she is sort of iron-fisted. Yet at this point, my question is, is she really that iron-fisted or is she just easily manipulated? Is she just getting bad advice from someone who she thinks she can trust? Right. So is this? that's kind of the way it seems. It, it feels like she's being she's clearly being manipulated because she has no idea what he's really doing. Right. And then we get to see what he's really doing. Mm-hmm. So we cut in there to him. This is so it, it starts slow. He goes in. She, she makes a very uh, she, she's very adamant that the doctor has to get her to sign a waiver. Right, and so she she's gonna send that him keeps back. Keeps them from suing. That, that says and she he can legally do the surgery. Right, to you. because it needs to be voluntary. We can't just 
right you know they can't legally into somebody's do that. head um but we don't get to see that right away because we have this sweet little exchange between the guards where they ask about the escapees and oh, yeah. they say where they basically have to go back it's almost like an insert shot where they have to go back and go shit do you remember those escapees yeah shouldn't we care about that yeah. as the warden and you know people running this prison that we had two people escape and mcqueen just says and one die and they'll be back yeah because they can't help themselves. They're going to mess up and get do something to get themselves in federal prison again. Which is such a weird thing. It's like, well, they got out. They're good. Let and them it, go. They'll be back. It kind of reinforces her mentality that no matter what, there is something wrong with them. They're going to end up in jail. They are predispos- uh, predispositioned to these violent acts. And this is back to where my, th- my whole theme of this is this is not how this works. This is not how any of this works. <laughs> and then we go to this scene that I feel like is more racy than the brothel scene and we're with crazy alice maggie and jackie at crazy alice's apartment and they're hide out they're they're group bathing yeah so they're group bathing while they're planning and you'd think that after being in prison and having to have group showers that these women would want to bathe alone i i don't even know but they're just they're doing it because we need more boobs in this movie. we need more boobs in this movie and this is where we learn that they need cash they need guns and that's kind of it. That was my takeaway from that scene. Yeah, it like, seems they, they what need their stuff. plan is, is this where they line the plan out? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so this is where they talk about how... We intercut back to this. They got to go back and get... Jacqueline decides she needs to go back and get Pandora and Belle. Yeah, and this is where we uh, intercut back girl. to um, the doctor drugging Belle and manipulating her... Um, to sign the paperwork. Yes, which is such a gross misuse of power to the point where he knows because he's using her hand to sign her name for her. And then he, and he tells her, and then, so what he does, it's very interesting here. So he says, um, he tells her that she'll be released. Mm-hmm. That if she wants to if she get wants out of jail, to be released. she's got to do this thing. She wants to get paroled. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's so doped up, she has no idea what's going on. He says, all you have to do is allow me to do some work on you that will satisfy me. Yeah. Which is the creepiest line in I've seen in a movie in a very long time. All you have to do is allow me to do some work on you that will satisfy me. Not okay. And then... He grabs her boob and honks it. Yeah, he definitely honks her On the her way boob. out of the room. On the way out of the room. Because he's like, that's got necessary. his hands around her face and neck, and then he honks her boob and walks out. Yep. That was real weird. And then this is where the blonde who was the, uh, who got thrown into solitaire for not escaping with Jackie and Maggie is released from solitaire, and she becomes a... Solitary. Solitary. She keeps saying solitary like she's sitting on her fucking <laughs> Windows 95 that's just clicking and clicking. It just makes me really happy when all the cards go flying. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and then the fireworks it's really special um and so skinny blonde not skinny Belle. blonde not bell nor bonnie the only <laughs> other two blondes whose names i know in this movie um she's like assigned to the clinic as like a helper or a worker yeah that's her punishment is to go work in the clinic and that's kind of confusing because, because she was really just put just in solitary her, yeah and it really just sets her up in a more powerful position because now she's aware of what all's going on in the clinic yeah she gets a little bit of daily no, so I guess her salt, but see that that to me means that the solitary thing is like you're gonna get solitary plus whatever we decide. So for mm-hmm. for 
Pandora, it was you're going to be not allowed to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. For her, it's going to be okay, but you also have to go work the clinic, scrub the floors. And this is where she gets to have the glimpse of he him drugging Belle. Again. He gropes her again. This is where... And this well, is where he starts to push the limits. This is where the limits get pushed, and this is where you see what's about to happen to Belle. Because so there's a peephole in the door, so she gets to watch. Mm-hmm. And he goes in there with some more drugs. Uh, she she sneaks over and starts watching through the peephole. And what we see is very creepy, very infantile, and very uh, childlike. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at the mind of a... Uh, uh, this was interesting because this is very... This is almost real. Um, it's the weirdest sexual assault I've ever seen. And keep in mind this in a movie. There, there, so there's <laughs> there's something more complicated happening here. Of all the sexual assaults this, I've seen, this particular assault Jesus. is intercut with our girls who have escaped. Yeah, and and what he's doing is he's taking Polaroids of her in different states of undress, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, touching her, and mm-hmm. and then taking pictures, taking like. Like uh, lots of weird Polaroids, and then he'll go down and start to like he'll kiss her on the mouth, but like in a very, very childish, what childlike way. Well, and it's creepy because which makes it creepy. At the end of this side of his scene, he starts to take his clothes off and then just collapses onto her, sobbing, sobbing and holding her, and yes. then making her. He purposely pushes his arm, her arms around him to As hold him. As though he's she's holding him, and and it's you see a lot about who this weirdo creeper character is really fast. So it's this like mixture. It very clearly comes across as mommy issue. He's got so he's got psychological problems. We knew that from the beginning. He's a he's a, a murder doctor basically. Mm-hmm. But this whole assault is intercut with our girls who've escaped and i can't tell if they planned this or not i don't think they meant to this is where it's kind of funny again but not Mm -hmm. they go in to rob a place but they walk in on a robbery okay yeah so they weren't actually planning to go break them out of prison this is where they wanted to go get the robbery this is where they go they're going to get the cash and the guns so in order to do it it they're gonna go rob robbers robbers who are already robbing a bank how do they know so i can only imagine that jack that jackie's friends set this up yeah, I think that Alice is playing the middleman and manipulating the situation because Jackie pulls up behind this guy who's clearly the getaway driver and these two men are holding this place up. Somebody clearly, one of their friends clearly was like, okay, so we know there's going to be a hold up at this thing. Just go fucking rob them. Yep. So Alice and Maggie go rob the robbers and the place. So, but it's unclear how we get to this point, really. And so this this seems very out of place. You're My right. favorite thing, though, is that the girls time it so well, and this was like the best writing of it that they end up with all the cash and guns. At oh, the end okay. Of it. This was wacky. The guys, th- since the girls turned the robbery around on the guys, let's let's, let's break let's break the scene down a okay. little bit before you get because you're skipping out some really interesting things. First of all. This is where Maggie becomes the hottest Maggie has been in this movie. If we have to talk about sexuality. When she pulls the gun on that guy and is in control of the situation, I'm like, I get it now. This movie forever. I get it. I want this. This is what I want out of this. See, what I wanted out of this whole women in prison genre is this. I wanted badass women doing like outlaw shit. Mm -hmm. But you don't get enough of that in this movie. And this is where we get a little bit Dukes of Hazzard. Yes. So what I did think was weird 
was that the cop show us, shows up, but mm-hmm. it's one police officer mm-hmm. in one car to a bank robbery. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. No. Nope. But anyway, it allows the guards to come out and have a little, or the guards, the bad guys who are robbing, being mm-hmm. robbed to try to run out because the main guy got shot by Maggie at this point. Mm-hmm. He runs out of the building mm-hmm. um, after she's tried to take weapons from him and it doesn't really work. And then the cops out. are showing up. So, so they're, they're like, in a firefight. Yeah. They have a little shoot off. Uh, and then the two the, the two guys escape without anything. They, they hop in the, the getaway car. Like, car we get the fuck out of here. Tear off. And the cops tear off after them. Because he has no, the cop has no idea that the other car is also a getaway car. Exactly. So you're right. This is a really well done yes. little farce kind of thing. Yes. It's a good little heist so movie move. So the guys get away, the, run away. And the cops are chasing Maggie after the, them. And then Maggie and Crazy Alice come out. Yep. And they're hot shit because now they've got their guns and, and now the they've got the box cash. Of cash. So now, now they're gonna go fucking get the women yep. out of the. Prison. They're geared up. This was their suit up scene. And keep in mind, we're well over the midpoint here. For oh, this this suit is up this is the last twenty minutes of the movie. This is where actually shit this gets is the real. last thirteen minutes of the movie. This mm-hmm. is all. So this all of the stuff that happens is in the. In fact, Kate came downstairs while I was watching the end of this. And and I had to pause it, and I was like, okay, I think something is finally happening in this movie. Because a lot happens, and nothing happens at all throughout this whole movie. Yeah. So um, we cut back to the... Uh, this is where Pandora realizes that some shit's gone down. They've got Belle. Yeah, and Pandora feels compelled to help Belle because Belle was taking care of her while she was in solitary. And they're friends. Yep. That's her... That's her her friend. So she's going to go help Belle. And then this is where, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is where we get to the surgery. Yeah, this is where the the girl tells uh, Pandora all about what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And this is also where... The unbeknownst to them, Jackie and Maggie and Alice are getting ready to head back for their friends. Yeah, so we have two parallel things going on. We see that Belle is in the operating room for the first time, and we see the doctor pull out a power drill. And you're like, "Oh shit, he's legit gonna just drill a hole in her." Like this is going down now. Brain. He's yes. not wasting any time. And then they cut to uh, right from there. We cut over to so you've got you've got. Pandora ready to go down there. Mm-hmm. She's in the. Uh, is she? She's not. No, she hasn't done the butter knife thing yet. So we know Pandora is aware. We mm-hmm. see the power drill. We see the girls do their thing. Now they are hitchhiking. Now keep in mind, right? time literally stands still in the clinic. When we are not at the clinic, nothing is clearly happening yeah. because this is where Jackie is confronting Maggie and telling her that she wants to go back for the girls. They can't leave them there with what's going on, what this doctor's doing. Yep. And it takes no arm twisting for them, for Maggie to agree to go back. Her only capitulation is that she's just not going to go into the prison. No, she's not going in there. She says she's not going back in. And then this is where we get to see Pandora in the kitchen and she's doing her normal day to day, but she's, scheming and figuring out a way to get to the clinic and she's peeling potatoes with a butter knife Mm -hmm. which is you know understandable when she slips and cuts her hand on purpose yeah so she does that and purposefully cuts her hand real good 
But this is this is all. So we've we've missed a couple things here. Um, we definitely skipped some stuff because what happens next is we we we're cutting back and forth between shit. We've got at some point they the girls go and hijack this van. Mm-hmm. And this, this I feel like it already happened. So they hijack a van. You're right. That, is that carrying... was literally right before Pandora. Cut yes. Herself. Um. And and so the the this is where we meet Bernice again. She's our like big fat bingo wings lady who mm-hmm. is a guard. Um. That we've seen from the beginning of the movie. She basically works the in the in the uh, intake van. Yeah. And <laughs> with so, creepy weirdo cop. Right. And this is where our girls have another little farce and they get the new arrivals truck to stop mm-hmm. and they kind of play damsel in distress to then hold up the van. So it's a stick up and they let the two girls go who are being processed. Which is great because they just leave those girls on the side of the road. Who then get picked up immediately by a creepy weirdo from the 70s yes. in a little drop top Porsche and drive away. As yes. they, they shovel in his car. Which is just hilarious. And, and it goes back to the tone, confusing tone. But um, so we've got, they're in the van and they're basically telling um, uh, fucking Bernice, the, this lady, they hold her up and say, look, you're going with us or you're going to get her. shot. Yep. You know, you're, you're going to do everything we say or we're going to kill you. Yep. Okay, cool. She's fine with that. She's like, I don't want to die. So then they are going back to the prison. So now we know that this is how they're sneaking back into yep. the prison. This is where we see Pandora cut herself. Well, this is where we cut back to Belle. I know this is confusing because this is all happening at the same time. This is where we cut back to the doctor for a brief second. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this up. It's important because it makes no fucking sense. The doctor is drawing a red line across Belle's forehead. Why? I don't know. I He's don't not know. cutting into her skull. Nope. He's going to drill into her eyeball. Yeah. It's been made clear. That's what a lobotomy is. All I wanted to do was mention that. It's so stupid. Because it makes no sense. Then we cut to Pandora, who cuts herself on purpose with mm-hmm. a butter knife, who goes, oh, I got to go to the, the hospital. Because mm-hmm. she knows that Dr. What's-His-Butt is doing weird shit yep. in there. She's got to get herself into that clinic so that she can stop what's happening. Exactly. So now we have... Then we intercut back to our girls in the van. Yep. And this is where they pull up to the gate. And one line that really made me laugh is because... The guard recognizes Bernice, and then they ask where the normal driver is. And Jackie has the quick quip back where she says, oh, he got the clap. Not Jackie, Bernice. Oh, Bernice. This is all fucking Bernice. No, they've told I thought that Jackie was standing in them, the truck and said, you got the clap. No, that's what Bernice said to the guy. She said, uh, he got the clap. And then the guy laughs like, yeah, that that guy would. Because that happens. He's the weird horny guy. And then they let him through because Bernice is scared. She doesn't want to get killed. Yeah. And you guys, we're just as confused as everyone else is at this point. This is a clusterfuck. This is all the last 10 minutes of the movie. They're intercutting these scenes back and forth as though it makes it a climax. We actually had to cut at one point. You guys didn't even know it and reset because we're just very confused. It's, and Katie wrote down what happened and it's not in order. And I don't even remember all of it in order. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. This is when <laughs> we're, me. now we're back in our clinic. The girls are at the exterior of the um, the prison. McQueen um, arrives to watch the lobotomy and she's obviously really eager to like, to get, to watch this. Well, it's kind McQueen, of McQueen, I don't know if she arrives to watch the lobotomy or what, but she's there and it's, she knows something's up. I think that she's there to watch the lobotomy. I guess, but either way, she comes in and then Pandora's already in there. Yep, she is looking for Belle and we are curious if she wants to stop, if she can stop this surgery. And McQueen confronts her 
And this is where um, the girls... Uh, so Pandora sh- tries to take on the guard. Or not the guard, the creepy doctor. Yeah. and She puts a, a scalpel to his throat or whatever. There's a gun and... It is there's just, a gun there's a gun that's literally but at the same time that this is happening this is where uh the girls have now broken into the prison yes and Pandora's so everyone trying ends to up, get bell to wake up and everyone ends up in this room at the same time yep everybody's coming together at once in the hospital room and uh so they've subdued they basically knocked out a couple of the other people who were attending and then they've subdued the uh the doctor and mm-hmm. McQueen. Mm-hmm. So everyone is here now. All and of our characters are in this room now. They're like, "Cool, we got to get the fuck out of here." The friend of Jackie, who is helping out in the clinic, who tipped Pandora off to what's happening, she hustles and goes and finds the evidence. So she comes back with the pictures that the doctor took mm-hmm. to confront and show McQueen what he's doing. And then, so she understands now, and she's like, "This fucking guy! How yep. dare you?" Yep. Um and. But it doesn't matter because now there's another plan. They pull out a bunch of paperwork because they essentially, I'm assuming they want her to fill out their discharge stuff. I guess. I think that's what they're doing. It's confusing. So they they make, they give her all these demands and have McQueen call her like number two. Mm-hmm. And then set up an order of this is what needs to be done right now. Don't ask any questions. And it has something to do with the guard taking his pants off. It's very confusing. There's a whirlwind. And this is finally when the guards assemble and the alarms start sounding. And um, the girls pile with McQueen and they they they've kidnap They've got McQueen her. and the doctor tied up and they've got tape over their mouths. And they put them in the back of this van with the other girls. Mm-hmm. And they're going to escape now. Yep. <clears throat> and, and they think they're going to escape uh, uh, clean, scot-free. Right, but Maggie, who refused to go in the prison, is still on the outskirts of the prison. She's waiting. And she's got her eyes out. So she's seeing these exterior guards. This is where I learned they're in a quarry for the first time. Right. (laughs) And she can see from a distance that they're all assembling. That they're they're taking sniper positions. Right, they're ready ready for this. There's a whole bunch of uh, bumbling cops, various weights and sizes, uh, sitting there waiting for them. So she knows shit's about to go down. In fact, the front gate cop doesn't seem to know because he's got his pants off doing what he was told. He's the only one. That doesn't have any idea. Yeah. And then, um, so the, the, the van of women comes around the corner, the big bus or the big box truck. And now they see, and it's a shootout. Everybody gets shot to shit. So everyone starts shooting. They start shooting through the van. Um, McQueen gets shot. Yep. Doctor guy gets shot like 30 times. Oh, he gets shot to shit. He gets lit up. Uh, McQueen is wounded. I can't tell that she's necessarily dying right yeah, away. But, but she's the definitely gone. wounded, and um, and they are able to get the truck up to the to the gate. They shoot a bunch of cops. Mm-hmm. The cops shoot at them, and the girls finally get some shots off. They get shots off. Uh, they have some amazing shots. Alice starts just hits one, hits a, kills a bunch of people with these like miraculous shots, and she that that actress has never held a gun before. Can we in her talk life. about the one guy? Which she, one? She shoots one guy's ear off. Yes. Okay, so she shoots a fat cop's ear off, and you see it hit the ground. Why? It was real weird. Why? Why? I don't even know. I don't know. There was, some, there was confusing things. It's like, it's that, it's okay, it's the same thing that I was talking about earlier where like art school guy wants to do a thing, but he's like, ah, oh, we'll throw this in here. 
Yeah. That, like he wanted to do that whole thing just to shoot someone's ear off, but realized it didn't work. So he had to add a bunch of stuff around it. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. And that was kind of the, the climax of it because well, and then, then they pile in the getaway car. But Jacqueline gets shot for the first time in this whole movie. Uh-huh. Or is it Jacqueline that gets shot or somebody gets shot? Pandora, Pan, uh, I don't remember. Somebody gets shot. Uh, oh, uh, Maggie got shot back at the, at the, at the, um, She's wounded. Yeah, Maggie got shot in the arm, fine. but that's what I'm remembering. Anyway, they all pile into this little, what I think is a, a Chevelle. Yeah. Maybe a Cutlass. I can't tell. I think it's a Chevelle. And, and they drive away with this weird, there's like a zoom shot on the door as Jacqueline starts to close the door and then it pant, zooms back out and then they peel out and drive away. Credits. And it was pseudo like Thelma and Louise vibe. Yeah, they got away. I just but Thelma and Louise, spoiler alert, didn't get away. No, but I mean, in a way they did on their own terms. Yeah, um, so that's the whole movie. It 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 leads up to an obvious conclusion of them getting out, and that's literally it. So the problem is, and I wrote this down. Uh, I still have a lot of questions. It, most of the things that I, most of my notes are questions. I definitely wrote down that there's no structure to this movie. It has no, it follows no structure. No. That uh, there's, it, 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 but then again, the premise of women in prison movies is women who didn't necessarily, who nebulously didn't maybe necessarily do anything wrong that should justify this, get put into a maximum security prison. That's it. And then they have to like either escape or things happen to them mm-hmm. or someone gets retribution for something. So it is a thin premise as a genre. But sure. at this one, this one just the premise is so thin. But as we talked about it, I definitely understand why people like this one, right? Um, because if you take the scenes and separate them, there's a lot happening in these scenes. But when you squish it all together, it doesn't make much sense. Well, and part of it is the disservice of intercutting between the scenes because it makes some of the scenes feel like vignettes. Yeah. And then it makes it difficult to track because you're not sure of what is happening timing wise. Mm-hmm. Um, because in modern film and television, intercutting to the viewer means it's happening simultaneously. Right. So when you use that in things that aren't happening simultaneously, we as modern viewers become very confused. That's true. And I think that the there's a lot of moments where they're just showing us something just to hit the bullet. And it's a yeah. lot of, I don't know if they had a script so much as they had an outline. It, it You know what, you're right. That's a good point. This movie seems like an outline translated into a film. Yes, because it feels like they just had to shoot all the bullet points <clears throat> and hit all the scenes with talking and then they put the movie together. And while there's a lot of character development, all the characters are underserved mm-hmm. and the story does not service the characters and the characters do not really service the story. It just doesn't happen. So they develop these characters in weird little ways, but then don't go any further than that and don't figure out how they really intertwine with each other. And they wait they a little give too you long. We don't get character development on Maggie, for example, until at least the second act. Eh, I would... I, Yes, that's correct, but I don't know how I'd call it a second act. I'd call it about 35 minutes into the movie. Right, what is supposed to be the second right. act. It, there's not really acts in this one. Right, it's weird. There's a beginning and a, and a middle-ish and an end. There's a time period and a ending point where the movie just stops. Yeah, and it's not that something happens, it just stops. We don't know what happens to them after this. Because, I, if, in fact, if, the if last... History is any, if history is any indicator, they just got away scot-free. 
my my notes <laughs> at the end of this are and they escape does mcqueen die where do they go what happens from here but what at the about same time bonnie? the same time what about bonnie um at the same time i don't care to know you're right because while i enjoyed some of the character development there's not a character in this movie i really care about no really not i mean i actually the most i cared about any character was pandora because she was interesting to me and so was maggie Mm -hmm. and so was mcqueen no one else in this movie is very interesting sure i wish that there was a lot more work on mcqueen because i feel like she's kind of this happenstance antagonist where she is both a puppet master but doesn't realize that the puppet that she's uh controlling is torturing these girls and she's characterized almost as a bumbling cop sometimes it's almost like a like i'm expecting to see like a mm-hmm. like a like bongos play when something when she makes like a double take or something you know what i mean like it's a, like sure. a very hanna barbera if she could run she'd run thing. in place before she gotten anywhere yeah right but then yeah. her character development and story is darker than that and more more grounded in some ways which is why i wish that there was more about her subversion and her inner turmoil because she based on that dream sequence that again i wish that there had been more of Mm -hmm. we realized that there's a very innate sexual being inside of mcqueen that is being squashed by her own uh morality and rigidity and there are the one thing this movie does well is is it it actually does highlight this sexual repression of women coming out of this era. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and sort of the end of the hippie era, we move into this 70s sort of Nixon era. Mm-hmm. It really does speak to a sexual repression, but doesn't do anything with it. Right. <laughs> that's that, the thing is that it, it touches on some really big and important things but it like it's kind of like the kids in the back seat of like i'm not touching you and maybe that's a product of the time period maybe that's totally. all that they needed felt they needed to do mm-hmm. i don't know I, i'm very confused by it. it 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 i think with 10 more minutes of movie scattered it would have made a lot more sense. Right. If they could have peppered in 10 total more minutes of footage that just filled in some holes, this thing would have moved right along. I feel like if they had um, looked at the story structure at all as a whole Mm -hmm. of this film, that it would have been a little bit easier for me to watch and follow and digest. Um, This is a rare movie that would have felt a lot shorter if it was a little longer. Right. This is also the rare movie that I needed a palate cleanser from. For those who know me personally, I can watch the darkest stuff for days oh, on Katie end. Oh, Katie does it all the time. Uh, it it doesn't bother. I feel like real life is dark. Every time I walk into Katie's office, she's got something on in the background where someone is being like sexually assaulted, physically abused, or uh, or dealing with some sort of... Uh, extreme emotional or substance abuse problem. <laughs> Such is life. Such is life. But with this is one of the few films that I needed such a palate cleanser from mm-hmm. that I watched the Mr. Rogers documentary. Yeah, you did. And that, I thought that was pretty remarkable. I had to stop and watch other shit too because it was like, this movie is so sleazy and I know that all of this, this genre is supposed to be sleazy, mm-hmm. but it's a sleazy movie that is trying really hard not to be mm-hmm. and also trying to sort of be funny as levity. Mm-hmm. But the levity happens at the most inappropriate times. It felt like bathing in corn syrup. It was this just movie, pointless. 
is inappropriate. Yes. And I hate to be that person because I'm extremely inappropriate as a human being. But this movie just, it, it feels like it doesn't know what's appropriate. This movie is just a little, um, it's a little out of touch now. It is. And I don't want it to just, I don't want to just land on it being it's socially a time unaware. period. But it's aware of its, it, it feels unaware of its own time period. Yes. Which was what's confusing about it. And I don't know how much of that is Roger Corman wanting another TNA picture. I don't know how much, I don't know how much of this was cut out. I don't know mm-hmm. how much, I'd love to see an original script from Jonathan Demme. I'd and like see, to see a director's cut. I don't even know if they had it. They only had $180,000 to shoot it. I, I'm, I'd like to see his script, his right? original script, because you know that, I mean, maybe they did shoot it. I don't know, because Corman didn't come in until it was already shot. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what to think of this. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, um, let's first, should we rate this, this motherfucker or should we, uh, should we talk about where this fits into your, uh, emotional relationship life? Oh my God. In my, I- Let's talk about where this fits into a significant other. So at what point it, it, it this is where we like to ask at what point in our relationships you should uh, you should subject your significant other to this film as a, a social experiment um, slash a relationship test. To be honest, I don't know about you, but I think that you should show you should this is the first one that I would suggest. It depends on it depends on what type of relationship you're in. If you're in a normal, uh, um, healthy, well-adjusted, healthy, well-adjusted relationship, I don't know that you should even show this to your significant other. I agree with that. However, let me let me let me actually take one step further. I'm sorry. Let's put it this way: If you're in a heterosexual relationship and you are and you are the male in that heterosexual mm-hmm. relationship, maybe don't show this to your significant other. Sure. If you were the female in that in that heterosexual relationship, maybe a good idea to show this movie really early on because you're going to get a real good sense of whether or not the person you're dating is a creep. Right. Because there's ways you can look at this movie and if they view it in a in a super sexy fun way, mm-hmm. maybe go a different direction with this your relationship. This is a real barometer. If you're in a uh, homosexual relationship or bisexual relationship, any other sort of uh, non-gender like normative relationship, I'd say that it's an it's an interesting thing to look at from a queer perspective. Uh, but it's really up to you. I honestly I can't tell you what I would do in this because again, coming from the point of being uh, in a in a normal uh fairly well adjusted relationship we can throw this stuff at each other all day long yeah we can handle it we've this been together a long test, time we've been together for so long that this doesn't really test us being in a heterosexual relationship i feel like this is not something i should just be like hey katie check this movie out right that's what i'm saying yeah and and, and i i can see how it would be an interesting thought experiment for so a queer relationship my question to look at it. as your partner is are you are you do you regret suggesting that we watch this movie? A little bit. And and no, I, I'm kind of joking. I, 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 
Now that it's over, I don't. But during during it, I, wasn't I was happy not about happy it. about it. During it, I was like, I don't want to watch this anymore because this is not going to be fun to talk about. But it's turned into actually a really interesting conversation. It's fun to talk about, but it's not fun to have been watching. Which is why, again, I say you really have to look at the sort of relationship you're in. And I don't just mean, is it a good or a bad relationship? I literally mean, so, what is your orientation? What is your area of, like, like how, how do you, what type of relationship do you have? Like... This is a different conversation for every type of relationship. Am I crazy? No, your it's perspective, perspective is interesting thing. to me because my perspective of this is um, it has a lot to do with where you are coming from as the person who is wanting to share this movie with someone. First, my question is why? Sure, sure. My yeah. second question is, um, I, I mean, I guess if I were to use this as a barometer and show someone in a relationship, it would probably be me coming from a place where I'm still tortured and not over the abuse of an ex. Mm. I'm still comparing this new relationship to my traumas of the past. You're feeling out this person's intentions. Exactly. So that's what I mean. I need to see how this significant other that I'm currently with is going to respond to these horrible traumatic things. Yeah. Great barometer for that. And that's what I mean by if you were in if you were the uh, if you were the the woman in a heterosexual relationship that's very early on, ooh, that was a pop Katie's neck. Then it makes it's an interesting thought experiment. But mm-hmm. if you're the 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 man in that relationship, that is a weird thing to show your significant. Yeah, other. don't. Am I right? Yeah, don't bring this to me. But then you see what I'm saying, like in in the in the queer spectrum of relationships, you know. There's an interesting conversation to be had about this. Sure, because... um, From either party. It doesn't necessarily feel as directly oppressive. (laughs) Um, But yeah, from a heterosexual standpoint, this is a very oppressive film. Yes. From a male heterosexual standpoint. Yes. That I feel that I shouldn't be um, telling someone else to watch or showing to somebody. It Mm -hmm. would be creepy for me to do so Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. I already knew what it was about. Yeah, I totally I think that's that. the best way to explain it. It's really difficult for me to explain. So I'm trying to say, I'm trying to, to not be to like offend anybody. I don't know how I would, but it just seems weird. It seems gross for this me to even suggest this movie for anybody. This is not the film that I would suggest for anybody just to like hop in and, and watch as an intro to caged women movies. Maybe it is. Or, From what I understand, this is the top of the fucking totem pole or one really? of the one of the best ones of the genre. Boy. Because well, it because it has so many um because it, it is so much more woke than the others is well, what if I've it's read. All downhill from here, then maybe this is the one to check out for that subgenre. And they call this a comedy action movie an action comedy. Nope. It is not. Nope. Nope. It is I mean, there's a little bit of action, but there's not enough action for me to put it in the action genre. It's sort of an action movie. It's it's a grindhousey movie. Sure. But there's just it But the, you're right, there's not enough action. There's not enough action for it to feel like an action movie. I feel like there's rom coms with more action. Yeah. It's just an exploitation movie. It is an exploitation movie. But it is trying to be something different. It is. I think that this is a great movie for um us to appreciate the time and place that we live in now yeah and to reflect upon the progress that maybe we not, as a society has made maybe, maybe? not now now like well, today right this in the middle of this horrible corona apocalypse but even then i mean a lot has gotten better but a lot has uh has has not you know what i mean it's that whole mm-hmm. how slow has the progress been so it, it does bring up some interesting conversations you're right but again i just feel like if you're a guy don't 
don't don't ask your significant other to watch this movie with you. Don't suggest it to them. I just think it would be creepy and weird. Yeah, you just keep this one all to yourself. Yeah, and and anybody else, go for it. But speaking from the only perspective I can come from, and that's a a guy in a fairly heterosexual relationship. I I would if I had watched this before I probably wouldn't have said hey Katie watch this movie yeah but thanks. to be fair I didn't I put this on a list yeah and, and you I picked it. I picked it out of nowhere um but so my question for you yeah. is how many so like one out of ten brawless boobs what do you rate this <laughs> um so one out of ten brawless boobs. And and in our scale, I want to I want to reiterate, our scale is not about how good this movie is or how technical, et cetera, et cetera. It's really an enjoyment meter mm-hmm. because the thing about genre film is it's about enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You have to look past some bad things to find some good things, and it's how much you enjoyed that ride. You know what I mean? Entertainment factor. Yeah, that's a, I mean that's a part of it. I think a part of enjoyment, but it's it's you're right. The entertainment factor. I guess that's a better way to put it. You're right. Um, I'm going to give it three brawless boobs out of ten. Now, is that six out of ten? Because they're coming <laughs> Three pairs? sets of brawless okay. boobs. You know, of varying I, sizes sure, and shapes. But all natural. Oh, yeah. Um, I have to I have to agree with you. Um, I've been thinking about this since I finished it. And I'm like, God, what do I even rate this? And I have to give it a three. I'm going to give it a flat three. Interesting. Of, yeah. Of flat Brawless boobs because um, it's the enjoy the literally the enjoyment factor is low. Um, they they and this is going to sound weird to say, but there's a lot of nudity in it that's supposed to be titillating, but you're not allowed to be titillated by it because you're supposed to be disturbed by uh, the the tones and themes of mm-hmm. the scene. I'm disturbed by everything else that's going on. If you so. want me to be titillated by the boobs, just show me the boobs and don't give me it and don't tell me that person is going through some sort of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. You know, don't like make me have to think about the uh, emotional state of this. That's a that's a that's another time period thing. You can't play the two things hand in hand. Yeah, and that toying. movie tries to do it too much. They're toying with us and they're also trying to toy. They're, they're trying to show us both sides of the coin at the same time. And the people that would think this is. Uh, super hot back in the day if those same people thought that now they would be psychopaths right Sociopath. you're not you're not dating the guy who thinks this movie's hot no don't please don't for your own safety and well-being there are very attractive women in it and sure. you can you can definitely be turned on by them to be honest i was more turned on by maggie fully clothed with a gun than naked and fighting <laughs> same do you know what i mean yeah. it's like oh, that's just weird that's a weird place it's it's not i don't think that's it's all confusing tone and even down to the sexuality of it. Mm-hmm. So you can't even like be enjoy, enjoy that because they hit you in the face with sad, upsetting things. And it's not the most balanced film. No. So there's not um, an emotional roller coaster where you leave with this um, feeling like you got somewhere. Yeah. It's this. Oh, I guess it's it's over. I guess that's it, it's like a dry cum. <laughs> you know, it's like I can only imagine. I guess it's over. Yeah, that's super gross, but it's 100% accurate. It, <laughs> it is a, a it, it, you're waiting for a story to happen all the time and it never really does. Mm-hmm. And um and it's a collection of vignettes and it's it, it that takes the enjoyment out of it down to the ending. Like you said, 
The ending is not enjoyable. There are scenes that are very enjoyable, but by the time you get to the next enjoyable scene, you've lost interest Mm -hmm. because you're so perplexed or upset by the last thing that happens. Your questions are never answered. Yeah. Um, you're left with more questions and you know, it's just not, it's not satisfying. Even in, uh, the sort of rape revenge genre mm-hmm. of film, um, there is a, which I am not a fan of. I don't, I, I it, it, I probably for a lot more reasons that I guess we just shouldn't even go into cause it'll be a whole other episode. But just the fact that I don't fit the, uh, that I have trouble relating to the characters because I haven't had that sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it's upsetting to watch. But even in those movies, you get some sort of... The char- main character gets some sort of real come up, like retribution. Sure, there's an emotional journey. Whether it's a physical, I get to take down the person that did this to me, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Or they take the power back in, but in one this, way or they another. But so- they try to take the power back, but no one takes the power back in a way that sort of fits the crimes opposed mm-hmm. against them, other than just getting out of there. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets their just desserts in a way that's satisfying. Mm-hmm. And so that even takes. And away we're from not it. we're not given any inkling that anything has changed at this no. prison. Um, we don't know that there's not a lot of character growth. These women's actions has done anything to affect the world that they live in, no, or where they've come from, or even their own futures. Three characters grow in this movie, and it's very tiny, and it's in the middle of the movie. Um, Jacqueline and Maggie grow in that they bond with each other mm-hmm. and uh, McQueen grows very slightly <clears throat> excuse me McQueen grows very slightly when she sees that creeper doctor has been sort of mm-hmm. like uh, sexually abusing these girls yes that's what he was doing I was going to go with tricking her uh-huh. <laughs> yeah uh, and and uh, you know, but you're right. So, it's probably from her perspective. It's probably more that he was tricking her than the fact that he was sexually abusing them. But we don't know. That's the question. So we don't know who actually where how far their growth went mm-hmm. at all. We have no idea. Um, so, I'm unsatisfied, yeah. but threes, now I want to eat some sweets. Threes around. Yeah, this is one that you 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 know what? Eat after this one. Yeah, you've, you've earned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're out there and you've got access to a cake, you eat get the you whole some snacks. Thing. Yep, you eat your whole pie. I promise you, next week's episode is going to be a lot more fun. Yes, I've already got it in my head. I know what it's going to be. I haven't even told Kitty yet. Oh, I'm excited. But next week is going to be a lot more fun and a lot less um, molesty. Ooh. Um. So. Friday. Friday night. No, Saturday. Saturday. We're releasing. That's something we should talk about. We are gonna for. We're going to try Tuesdays and Saturday releasing. Um, so those are going to come out midnight central time, Monday night, midnight central time, Friday night. So, uh, you know, Tuesdays and Saturdays for now into whenever we go to a week or who knows how mm-hmm. long this quarantine thing's going to last. But we'll be here. And um, you can follow us on Instagram at Betrothed Pod, on Twitter at Betrothed, uh, and shoot us a line. Um, at betrothed at gmail.com. You can follow me if you really want to at I am Chris Hayden on everything. And I am KT May 2K. That's the letters K T May with an E uh, 2K on uh, all your favorite platforms. So until next week, buck off and die. Buck off. Yeah.